0: (laughs) Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Ramble by the River. I'm your host Jeff Nesbitt. It is Saturday, April 22nd, the year of our Lord 2023. It's Earth Day. Happy Earth Day. This day is pretty special to me. I don't know if I've ever mentioned this before, but I'm from Earth and I like it here. I'm fixing to stay here, so we gotta take good care of this place. And not only is it Earth Day, it's also a very special day to me for another reason. More specific to me, but we'll get to that in a minute. Ramblers, it's Earth Day, and as much as we love to joke around on this podcast, today is a day to get serious about our planet. Did you know that Earth Day was established back in 1970? It was a time of great social change and awareness and people were beginning to take notice of the negative impact of humans on the environment. The first Earth Day helped to galvanize this awareness and to push for change. But the seeds of environmental awareness were sown much earlier than that. In fact, it was the Apollo missions of the 1960s that really helped to shift society's perspective. The famous blue marble photo taken by Apollo 17 in 1972 showed the world a stunning image of our planet from space. This photo helped to convey the fragility and beauty of our planet, and it sparked a new wave of environmentalism. Seeing pictures of the Earth from space for the first time, whether they were Photoshopped or not, gave people a new perspective on our home planet and how fragile and precious it really is it was a wake-up call. Fast forward to today, and Earth Day is celebrated around the globe as a day to raise awareness about environmental issues and to take action to protect our planet. Now, I know that some of you out there have kids and you wanna teach them about this stuff, You know about the importance of Earth Day and of the environment. Well, here are five interactive ways that you can do just that. Number one, plant a garden together. Whether it's a small window box or a full-blown vegetable garden, Hell, even an aero garden, one of those lovely little uh, hydroponics kits you can get for your kitchen counter. I had the five pod. It was awesome. It eventually got mites and I had to, you know, get rid of it, but I, I really I, I could just clean it, you know, a little vinegar and probably get that all clean and ready to go just like it was new. I digress. Whether it's a small window box or a full blown vegetable garden or a hydroponics kit like an aero garden. Planting something together is a great way to connect with nature and to teach your kids about where their food comes from. You could also slaughter a goat with your child. Number two, go on a hike in nature. Take your kids out to a local park or a hiking trail and spend some time exploring the natural world around you. It's a great way to get exercise, you bond with your family, and you actually get alert about the environment too. It's not hard, you just literally go walk around outside and look at stuff, don't bring your phone don't let your kids have their phones and just, like, go look at the ground. It's covered with cool shit. You get sticks, bugs, leaves, litter, all kinds of stuff. You'll find treasures for sure. And even if you don't, you'll have a hell of a good time trying. Number three, make a recycled craft. Use old materials like cardboard, plastic bottles, or newspapers to create something new and beautiful. It's a way to teach your kids about the importance of recycling and upcycling. But more importantly, you get to make art which is cool, and it feels good. Tickles the brain and the soul. Make a birdhouse out of recycled materials. You got some spare lumber laying around? Build yourself a little birdhouse. Put it up for a bird, you know? You got some extra boxes? Delight your neighbors with a box fire. You got a bag of those avocados from Costco that you just let go a little too long? Well, I bet you didn't know that you can fire them like a football against your apple tree, and they explode gloriously. Delight your neighbors with exploding avocados. And that's Earth Day. Number four, turn off the lights. Have a candlelit dinner or a game night with your family and talk about how conserving energy can help the planet. Ah, I don't love that one. I think lights are very efficient these days, especially if you have LEDs, especially dimmable LEDs. And I think you should use appropriate lighting for your circumstances. I'm not telling you to blast your high beams. No, 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 no. But what about a little mood lighting? What about a little LED lamp in the corner? Put out a nice warm glow. Couldn't that make your evening nice with very little energy usage? I think so. Number five, you could always dress up as a tree and act out the life cycle of a forest. It's silly, but gets your kids thinking about the importance of trees and the role they play in our ecosystem. Imagine it, you're standing there. You're just not allowed to talk, not allowed to move your feet. You're allowed to sway a bit in the breeze, but the rest of the time, you just think. Just watching stuff go by, watching the world pass you by. You feel a little tickle in your bottom roots. You look over and you realize that your buddy over there is trying to tell you something, send you a little bit of nitrogen through the, the root system in your mycelial network as trees do. And you realize suddenly that you've always been a tree and that really, we're all the same. You, me, the trees just all part of one big system, one big thing. And we gotta keep that thing working good. We're part of nature, we're not separate from it. And becoming a tree could tell you that, but I'm sure you can come up with your own ways to enjoy your children and the time you spend with them. Just get them off those damn devices, go out and interact. That's really the key. Talk about the earth, interact, be outside, breathe the air. Finally, you could participate in a community cleanup. Take a walk and pick up trash along the way. It's simple but effective. Grab yourself a bag, go on a walk. I say wear gloves, avoid needle pricks. Especially if you're on the beach. It's a great way to make a tangible difference in your community and to teach your kids about the dangers of being pricked by stray needles. It's a quick and dirty way to make your community just a little bit better. If you're in this local area, there's an organization called the Grassroots Garbage Gang, I believe, and they go do beach cleanups periodically. It's been a while since i heard anything about them so you might have to do a little research on that but i know they at least existed at some point the beach is always full of trash just grab a bag and go out there yourself you don't need anybody's permission i don't think this is not legal advice this podcast is for entertainment only and should not be considered advice in any way here's a few memorable facts about earth day it's celebrated in over 190 countries around the world that's all the good ones The Earth Day flag was designed by a man named John McConnell in 1970. Shout out John McConnell. The first Earth Day led to the creation of the Environmental Protection Agency, or the EPA, in the United States. And finally, Earth Day is most remembered because it's my anniversary, and I love my wife so damn much. That's all I can think about. I've really been wanting to talk about it this whole time. But anyway, sorry, I digress again. So there you have it, Ramblers. Fun and interactive ways to teach your kids about Earth Day and to help the environment. So let's all do our part and take care of our planet and keep it beautiful for generations to come. April 22nd is important for another reason. 2017, the day that Melissa became Melissa Nesbitt and changed my life forever. I know I mention it somewhat frequently, but I really, really love my wife a lot. And I, I want to spare you all the cliche stuff that everybody who really loves their wife a lot will tell you. The stuff about how she's my best friend, how I trust her, and I really don't trust anybody else. How she's the best partner I could ever imagine. How she takes care of me in ways I didn't even know I needed to be taken care of. I'm not going to say all that stuff. I'll spare you. But what I will say is that I never expected, in a real true way, I think in a real legitimate way, I never actually expected that I would be happy in a relationship. My parents loved each other, but they weren't happy. That was obvious. At least from where I was sitting. You watch TV and all you see is drama. That's why you tune in. That's what you want. Nobody wants to watch things just going okay and boring. So I genuinely thought that it was going to be a really big long shot for me to ever end up feeling genuinely happy. But I found it. Amazingly, I found it. On a random spring day in 2016, my friend Eddie invited me to go to the Lost Rue. His friend was moving away and she was having a goodbye party. I just got back from Hawaii. I was feeling great. I'd been clean and sober for a while. I'd been meditating and praying and just really trying to be my best self. had a nice tan. I'd shaved my beard off and had a buzz cut. I was just like... The most fresh, recharged, energy-rich version of Jeff Nesbitt I could be. I went to the Roo, and there's a group of people that most of the people I know... Yeah, actually, you know, to be honest with you, I remember Laney was sitting right next to me, and that's who I was talking to part of the night. And I remember Elena, because it was her going away party. And I remember Melissa, and that's it. Pretty sure Eddie actually was there somewhere too, but... I pretty much just remember Melissa. I was very intrigued, I'll say intrigued. It was not the same kind of attraction that I'm used to at this point in my life. I, I had been married before. I had, you know, I was familiar with my natural animalistic instincts. I knew what that felt like, but this just felt different. It was a mix of physical attraction and curiosity I'll say because I could not stop looking at her I, and I, I don't know what it was about her but I just knew she was important and I remember seeing her at first and I knew who she was but I had never even met Melissa never even been in the same room as her that I was aware of but I knew who she was right away and we talked a little bit she just charmed me so much yeah it was it was different. I had been smitten with people you know I'd been I'd had crushes I'd had the hots for people and usually that would shut me down to where it'd make it almost impossible for me to close the deal. and that surprisingly this time was not happening and I think it was because yeah, I think it's because I knew that she was a little bit older than me. She already had kids. She was divorced, I knew that, but she just kind of seemed like she was on a pedestal. Like she wasn't for me. Like I didn't have a chance, I guess, is what it really comes down to. I thought she was just beyond what I was swinging for. I really didn't even think she was an option. So I just acted like myself. And I was normally uh, pretty nervous around women and always wanted to make sure I didn't say a dumb thing or you know, insult them somehow. And I didn't do any of that monitoring with Melissa. I just, you know, opened the floodgates and let it rip. Just straight Jeff Nesbitt, right in her face. And lo and behold, she liked it. She was starting to uh, coach middle school track and it was just starting like a week later. And I said, hey, I love track and I would love to help. And I was genuinely offering. I wanted to lend my services, lend my expertise, help the kids and do something kind of fun. So I I was, I meant it. I wasn't just trying to hang out with her, but I wasn't not trying to hang out with her. And so I gave her my number and she texted me later that night. That week leading up to track was fun. We had gotten to know each other just on a friendly level on a like almost a semi-professional friendly level. Like we were gonna be coaching together. It wasn't something that had really matured much beyond that at this point, but we just had chemistry. We texted the entire week even though it was just like topical stuff. It wasn't anything, you know, deep. We weren't dating. And then track started, and I just wanted to hang out with her the whole time. I wanted to walk around with her. I wanted to just be near her. It felt like I'd known her my whole life, like she was my best friend that I just hadn't met yet. And that is a damn good feeling. That's, I mean, I people always ask about love at first sight. I don't know if I believe in that because infatuation is such a strong feeling that it really feels like it could be love. And that's a cheap feeling. Infatuation at first sight feels great, but it's not deep. And love at first sight would have to be deep. This felt deep. It felt like I was talking to somebody who genuinely cared about what I had to say, wanted to learn about me, wanted to know who I was. And somebody who valued me as a person in a time when I really needed it—the it, it, timing couldn't have been better. After a couple of weeks of coaching together and really hitting it off, I still wasn't really thinking about it in a romantic way. I just kind of thought she was off limits. She was a mom, and I had never—I I knew she was a very committed mom, and she was, you know, successful in her career. She just seemed like she was off limits. And so I just continued to be me. She told me she was going to go see the Holiday Friends, which is a really good local band. And she told me she was going to this show with her friend, and so I made sure to be there. And I remember the critical moment where she's standing there with her friend Bree. Shout out Bree. I wanted to get a beer because I, I wasn't quite sure what this was. I wasn't quite sure what we were doing if we were gonna end up you know moving things to the next level because the chemistry was undeniable it was electric it kind of felt magnetic in a way to where it felt inevitable like it was just going to happen and there was nothing that i could do to stop it and i didn't want to so my move what was the move you ask classic i offered to get her a beer She's standing there with Brie, and I offered to get Melissa a beer and not her friend it on purpose so that she would know, like, I'm here for you. Like, I want you. I want to serve you a beer so you know that I can provide. And at the time, I didn't even consider whether or not that was rude. But now I'm thinking about it, and maybe it was. But honestly, I really don't know. I don't regret it because we drank those beers and stood next to each other and kind of swayed together for a while to these songs. Great songs. Our hands like bumped each other a couple times, back of the hand, bump, bump, swaying, more swaying. I'm just like, oh my God, this is the time when I don't know how to move. I, that was just like, that's the hardest part making the transition from conscious awareness, front of your mind brain, like your executive functioning, the thinking brain, making the transition from that guy to the physical guy who's just like thinking with his body and letting movement communicate for him and letting go and actually letting yourself connect with another human being without fear and without inhibition. To make that jump for me has always been very difficult because I put a lot of effort into maintaining that composure on that front end. So to just abandon that in the presence of another person is just a huge no-no. And we're in that moment and I just decided to go for it. I reach in, I grab her around the waist and I pull her close and we start dancing. And. I look down and I still remember it so crystal clear, it was like it just happened. And I see the lights from the stage and the music's playing and she gives me this smile. I've I've got her, my arms wrapped around her and I'm holding her there and we're dancing. And she does this smile where she crinkles her nose and my heart exploded and I I just felt like, overwhelmed with the need to kiss her. And so I did, and it was good. It was really good. I still think about that smile all the time. Honestly, I think about it every time she pisses me off. It doesn't matter how mad I feel, if I picture that face with the crinkled nose and that smile, I can't stay mad about anything. It's actually giving me goosebumps just thinking about it right now. I kind of want to wrap this thing up and go back in the house. But I just want to tell you, my last thing I'll say about it is... If you're discouraged and you're alone and you don't think you're going to find somebody, keep looking. I didn't even know how discouraged I actually was until I found somebody who I really connected with and who just got me. Not just... It's not just that they have to get you they have to get you to be the best person you can be they have to get you to get over yourself which is a huge job for anybody but it's not impossible and somebody out there will do it somebody out there will love to do it so don't stop looking don't close your heart if you close your heart you won't find somebody keep your heart open and keep your chin up and just Trust, it will happen. Melissa, I love you so, so much. Thank you so much for making me a father and making me a better man. Happy anniversary. If you need to get in contact with me through the podcast, go ahead and search for Ramble by the River on Facebook and Instagram and Ramble River Pod on Twitter. You can also find me on TikTok at Jeff underscore Nesbit 88. You can find our entire episode catalog as well as any links you might need at ramblebytheriver.com. The Patreon is currently on hold, so don't go try and sign up for that because I haven't been making Ramble on the Road. The supplemental podcast that was just for the Patreon subscribers... And I just don't feel right about charging people when they're not getting a product. So I turned off the charges and that makes it so that new people aren't able to sign up. So I apologize for that. Patreon subscribers, you are gonna still continue to get the early access and I'm not gonna pull the page for now. But to be honest, I wasn't crazy about Patreon allowing that whole, uh... well, you can look it up. Just Google Patreon allows predators and you'll see what I'm talking about but I didn't like that and I don't really want to be on that site anyway so I'm trying to figure out another solution and there's going to be another way. I'll let you know what it is when it happens but thank you anyway and if you're an existing subscriber, thank you so much for coming along for the ride on this with me My guest today is a former CPA turned brewmaster. He owns and runs North Jetty Brewing the people behind beers like my favorite, Mad Viking IPA, which is celebrating its 10-year anniversary. You can find their awesome beer at drinking establishments, restaurants, and grocery stores across the Pacific Northwest and, of course, at their amazing tap room in Seaview, Washington. In the interview today, you'll hear some great personal stories and behind-the-scenes stuff about running a brewery and about a thousand other topics as well. We get deep. We go philosophical, spiritual. We go all over the place. Economics, finance, you name it. That's all coming up right after a message from our sponsor. This episode of Ramble by the River is brought to you by Ford Electric. 360-642-2137. Serving Southwest Washington since 1944, Ford Electric is the local standard for quality electrical work and outstanding customer service. Call 360 642-2137 to schedule your electrical service today. I can tell you from personal experience, I know the guys who work for this company, I know the guys who own this company, and they are top of the line, cream of the crop, human beings. If you call them and schedule something, you're going to get the best service available, and that's Just a given. So don't make the mistake of going with somebody else. Call Ford Electric today for your electrical service in Southwest Washington. One more time, that's 360-642-2137 for Ford Electric. Without further ado, please give it up for the mad Viking who prefers hiking. Or maybe even a tad of biking. Try one of his beers, it'll be to your liking. Eric Svensson. Yeah, let's go. Take it on me
1: once, I could be a bit like you. I'm supposed cool. oh, to
0: make the man, but that poison's gonna chew you. From the inside out. So right now. Say it, which is chest now. Say it, which is
1: chest now. I'm young. Nobody takes Prove to me yeah. that to the top was
0: my yeah. I heard you're a daily walker. Daily walker. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was something that Michelle, your wife had mentioned when she was in here. You take, you take your walks every day, every day. Yeah. No matter what, no matter you find what. a lot of benefit from them. I do. I do.
2: Uh, yeah. It's uh, a lot of time to think. I listen to stuff and, uh, just exercise gets yeah. outside. You know, I, I, uh, I like living here and all that. And, Just nice to get the fresh air, but even on the days like this, I do uh, I do like going. Although I cut it a little shorter, I did. Yeah, three and a half miles. So that's still pretty good. It's not bad. It's not. I I try to do at least four four miles gets me to ten thousand steps on on the walk itself, and then like yesterday I did six miles, which is basically my house down to the beach approach um, at Sea View, and then down to the bridge at Beards Hollow and then back. That's a long walk. Yeah, it's decent. Yeah. It's decent. It's uh like I said, you know, it's I, I I'm usually gone between an hour, 2 hours, more like hour and a half to 2 hours. But I I uh literally have nothing else to do. Yeah. <laughs> so it works out pretty well.
0: You're not super busy with the uh, running a business? <clears throat>
2: um yeah, I am, but it's very flexible busy.
0: Oh yeah, That's It's the best kind of busy.
2: Yeah, I mean it, it's one of those things where it takes most of the day. Um but it is very flexible, and we're fortunate to have good staff, and uh, I have a good partner in Michelle. And uh, so it, it really ends up being uh, pretty easy to kind of be flexible here and there, mm-hmm. uh, unless I can't be. If I'm driving driving beer over to distributors, uh, going over to the uh, Portland-Vancouver, then it's I have less flexibility. But yeah. I can kind of decide when that is.
0: That's, I like that kind of stru- structure you can mm-hmm. kind of strategize and use your energy however it fits you best.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's worked out well having the uh the flexibility. I I spent the first half of my I don't know. adult life in uh not even the first half, I guess the first few years, 12 years or so in offices, so.
0: Yeah, you were a CPA, right? Yeah. How yeah. did you become a How did you go from being a CPA to a master brewer? Um <laughs> Master Brewer may be a I've heard <laughs> people say brewer. it. I've heard I, people say well, it. Well,
2: that's nice. That's nice of people to say. I uh, I was as enthusiastic. I was an a, uh, I consider myself a very uh, well-read, enthusiastic amateur. Um, so i That's
0: how all the best ones start.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a lot. Even in my CPA, in my, in my accounting career, I saw most businesses kind of get started because someone really likes what they're doing. So they decide, well, I want to make money for myself rather than for somebody else. So I'm going to do what it is. Uh, which unfortunately can get him into trouble on the financial side, but that kind of comes later down the line, you know, like most things do. You move past the honeymoon phase, and then you got the real life staring at you. But, mm-hmm. um, but no, so I, uh, you know, I came out of college in uh, 1998. I graduated uh, from college and uh, went to work immediately in Portland at a at an accounting firm, but in college. I can remember I think it was nineteen ninety-six, I believe. I kind of did the math on it. I uh I bought a homebrew kit. Uh, and just uh just nothing. It was just a pot and it came with all the stuff. It was like a pot and it was like the ingredients for a Hefeweizen and a, like a glass carboy and it had the, the car the carboy locks. And I you know, I was always kinda of into I had the chemistry set as a kid and the erector sets and stuff. So it was just yeah. I like Building things in the gear, you know, and I always got a kick out of that. My dad always worked on old cars and stuff like that. Was it
0: a kit like, uh, like a pre-made one that some person put together, or was it like a branded? Like I had one called a Mister Beer when I was like fifteen. Yeah,
2: yeah, no, it wasn't. It wasn't one of those. It was basically here's your ground up grain, here's your bag of hops, here's your yeast, you know, and and uh, it came with the book, the uh, the Joy of Home Brewing by Charlie Papazian. Which is, you know, anybody who's a home brewer, anybody who's in brewing will know that book. It's, it's, it's kind of the Bible of home brewing. And since a lot of craft brewers came more out of home brewing than they did out of big production breweries, that's where most of them, at least when I was kind of coming out of school, it's different now, but it's at least when I was kind of coming out of school, that was the case. The craft beer scene hadn't kind of reached the professional level it is today. So I got into home brewing and I bought the equipment, um, put a plug for Bader Brewing supply in Vancouver. I, I bought it and I think uh, Steve just sold it. So there we go. Um, but, uh, so I bought it there and yeah, and my roommate and I made the beer and we put it in the carboy and watched it bubble and bottled it and capped it and kind of went through the whole thing. And, uh, it made decent beer, you know, it wasn't, uh, there wasn't a lot of craft beer back then. You know, this is 1996. There was, there was like Pyramid Hefeweizen. There was Full Sail. There was uh, Red Hook, uh, Widmer. I mean, but that was, that was even before Widmer. I mean, that was probably yeah. about it. And especially when you're in Ellensburg, Washington, you, you're not getting a lot of craft beer mm-hmm. then. So it was, I mean, it was one of these things where it's like, wow, this is really good, you know,
0: and, and people- What like kind I of said, beer was that the first one?
2: It was a Hefeweizen. Ooh,
0: nice.
2: Yeah, it was a Hefeweizen. So it came with- uh it came with the, the, you know, the malted barley kind of cracked open. You buy the ingredients at the homebrew store, and they run it through the mill for you, so you don't have to mill it yourself. And uh, and it had flaked wheat, and you kind of put that in a little strainer. It's called a micro-mash, and you kind of steep that along with your uh, – otherwise you have um, actually not cracked grain. The, the cracked grains like the micro-mash, like a little bit of caramel malt for color and like the flaked wheat. But then you had uh, malt extract syrup, mm. right? And so you'd pour the syrup in the boiling water and boil it. Um, so you're not actually mashing grain. You're just taking they're mashing it for you and making it into the syrup. So you don't have to do that because it takes some other equipment. Okay. And then after I got out of college, I built an all grain system where I'm basically doing like a mini version of, you know, like what we do at the brewery.
0: Okay. So now it's just like do everything but grow the grain yourself?
2: Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Um, we get all the ingredients and, uh, and get them in that way. But, yeah, you know, it was a uh, and It turned out good. It was drinkable. And uh, that's the one thing I always say about brewing is it's, you know, sometimes people, I think, kind of look at it like it's some sort of alchemy or something like that. Or it's like, ah, oh, you can make beer, and how do you do this, and how do you do this? And I always kind of compare it to If you set out to make a, a lasagna or a hamburger or, or pretty much every, anything and you f- model of a car and you follow the instructions and you kind of walk it through and you are somewhat, you know, Pay, pay attention and you're diligent about it and you follow all the steps and everything like that, um, you're usually going to come out with a product that, while it might not be the best out there, is at least going to be identifiable as that. You're not going to set out to make lasagna, follow the instructions carefully and end
0: up with like you know, chicken piccata. Have you ever heard of this thing called the internet? I have heard of it. Well, there's people on there who try to do stuff all the time and they suck at it. I think what you just described is skill. Like uh, intelligence, to be able to to take skills from one area and be able to apply that general framework of how to solve problems into anything. I think you're just a smart person. Oh, thank you. Yeah,
2: It (laughs) takes, you know, I think it takes diligence. I think it takes that part of being a smart smart person, I think, is understanding what you don't know. Exactly. And and unfortunately, I think the opposite sometimes happens with smart people is they start thinking they do know everything. And hence you have hubris. Hubris, and and then you have you know, people who make electric cars opining on, you know, national politics and these kind of things or international politics, and it's like, hey, you know, let's let's all stay in our lanes a little bit here, you know, and not that, not that opinions are bad, but when you have wield tons of influence, you also have to have a certain amount of modesty and a certain amount of you know, humility, I suppose.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I was just talking about that yesterday with somebody, how like certain people have so much influence. Even though their job is something fairly benign, like a comedian, right, they have the power to change the course of our nation by just saying something off the cuff. Like yeah. I'm, I was talking about Joe Rogan on right. his podcast. I mean, he's got millions and millions of people listening, more than any cable news network, right. And um, his words, ma- they matter. They like they matter a lot.
2: Well, then I think the only you know the thing that kind of occurs to me on that is. Um, when is the responsibility also on the listener? Always. And that's my thing too, is, is I think that it's funny, it's like there's this there's this huge microphone in front of everybody that blasts opinions out there, but there's also this this ready consumer, this ready set of giant ears ready to suck it all in and take everything as this sort of unmitigated truth without much in the way of investigating it yourself. And so yeah. it's, it's it's just it's it's everything's gotten a little lazy it's well that like. stuff is so
0: hard you have to take time and go look and, and be challenged and then at the end of the day you don't end up feeling better you feel worse so people just don't do it yeah they're like because they all you find is nuance you realize it's just more complicated than you'll ever be able to make black and white because that's how it starts sure you, like right uh, like freshmen in college they're also very ide- idealistic and they uh They're on a mission to just separate everything into their buckets of black and white, good and bad. And they realize that those buckets never really fill up because there's not enough stuff to put in either one of them.
2: Yeah, you know, and I think that that's, you know, I haven't been raised with the influences of the younger generation. Although, you know, I I substitute in the schools. And so, you know, I talk to them a little bit and kids and that kind of thing. But it seems to be a little, um, the world seems, maybe it's a little less nuanced now. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe it's just I'm I'm kind of in my own little you know approaching fifty bubble and I kind of see it in my Gen X tinted glasses. But uh, but yeah, I I I think that I think that it's helpful not to get discouraged by the nuances and not to get discouraged by the fact that there is no maybe maybe there isn't an objective right or wrong. Maybe there's just sort of varying degrees of likelihood. But at the same time, in something like Like craft beer, is that's part of the fun of it? Is it's like you'll never perfect it. You'll never get to a point. Even if you could perfect it, there's going to be someone who hates it. Even if to you it's perfect, and you have to get really comfortable and just kind of dwelling in that. This is the product I put out. This is what I do. This is who I am, and I understand it's not for everybody. Fair Mm -hmm. enough. But you know, we're going to keep on trying to improve it and keep on trying to. You know, we said when we first started, we're not going to chase opinions. So therefore, you know, we never be a hype beer, maybe, but.
0: Um, You're not going after all the like uh, I don't know whatever uh, pumpkin spice you make a pumpkin spice anything <laughs> we do not
2: <laughs> we do not and it's not not and, and that's just more because I don't like pumpkin beers and it was that was something when I when we first started you know kind of got got getting rolling in 2012 um, that was like that was the big one you know a lesion before they sold the Budweiser that was the big thing was pumpkin beer and they do their pumpkin festival and to me it just got it's got so overplayed and it got so it got kind of it was like the like the haze craze was these last you know the last few years before this is it's just it got overplayed so no I didn't like doing it not to say that we don't do the styles when they come along especially if it's something where it catches you know someone in the brewery's sort of attention and, hey that'd be a that'd be a fun beer to do although we we um you know we always try to like kind of make it our own on some
0: level it's a creative act there's there's it seems like there's a lot of creativity to it more so in beer than in other things like wine uh or even like spirits a lot of that is just like tradition
2: i think you know gin i guess you can get pretty creative you know pretty creative on um yeah, I think wine, you know, because wine's all about terroir and it's about and it's about staying out of the way of the fruit and letting the fruit express itself, you know, and, and basically as the winemaker, from my understanding of winemakers I've talked to is that they're trying to make sure that the wine speaks, the grapes speak, you know, they, they, they kind of sing the praises of the, the soil and the rain and all these kind of things, where in beer we're taking ingredients and we're kind of forcing them into the box we want them in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's it it is much more of I, I think beer is more of a manipulative process than than winemaking is. At least maybe on the back of me on the winemaking, it's more of the upfront when you're growing the grapes and that's where you do your manipulating with soil chemistry and water and tonnage and all that kind
0: of thing. A whole it's really, different
2: game. Yeah, I did totally different game, you know, and that's that's one of those things we don't make wine, you know, we don't make wine. People have asked me if we were to make cider, it's a different license. And it's like I there's great cider makers and i I'd, I'd rather drink someone else's great cider than try to figure out where to put tanks to make cider <laughs> in it <at> or
0: <North> <laughs> Did you ever make any at home? Never,
2: never. I made mead once.
0: Oh, I was going to ask about that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 found it undrinkable. I, well, I messed it up. So I was in college and I, again, I didn't know what I was doing. And so all my diligence, it didn't, it didn't shine through in the mead because I didn't, um, Similar with wine, you know, you, you got to stop the fermentation process and stuff. Yeah. And I, being a beer maker, I just kind of let it roll and it just, it ended up with just, I had powerful, I mean, you know, it would mess you up fairly quickly, but it was, uh, it was skunky. You, uh, yeah, no, it, it was just, it was hot. It huh. was hot and, and, and I didn't, and I was in my dorm in college and it was, in, not my dorm, excuse me, I was in my townhouse, townhouse. I lived in in college. One of the places. And uh, it was the summer in Ellensburg. So it was too hot. And so it fermented super hot. What does that mean exactly in, in fermentation? So typically when you're fermenting hot, right? So like beer, let's say most of our ales, we ferment um, about 69 degrees. And that seems warm. That's room temperature. Yeah, yeah, for ales. For lagers, they ferment more like 50 degrees, 54 degrees, somewhere down there. So lagers are cold for bottom fermenting, and then ales are warmer top fermenting as far as the yeast strains go.
0: Mm-hmm. And how cold does it take to make the mountains blue? Oh, boy, I don't know, like negative negative They're really bragging about that. It's always yeah. cold. I
2: always cold. love that when they say, you know, cold.
0: Filtered, cold filter, cold bottle. Cold packaged.
2: Cold trucked. I, there's no other way to do it. I mean, <laughs> you, I, mean, I suppose. I suppose if you had like a like a pressure chamber, you could package warm. But anyway, so. Uh, I forgot what you're
0: talking about. Oh yeah, sorry, right. I lost that. No, no, it, no, I was no, making it's fun of fine. Coors. Um, I lost it. Oh, uh, we were. We'll find it. Yeah, just give it a I'm sec. Not concerned. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
2: the. Uh, uh, let's see, we're doing the rain. Oh yeah,
0: I was asking what hot meant in fermentation. Oh hot, fermentation. hot fermentation. Yeah. yeah, excuse me.
2: So. So anyway, what happens when it starts fermenting hot is you have um the yeast throws more what are called fruit esters, which are good. Those are like pear flavors and apple flavors and and, and kind of so we call those these kind of
0: esters that the the yeast give off. And those kind of like give Effervescent quality? Uh or is ester ester that's a chemical term, right?
2: Ester, yeah, ester is kind of like, I don't know exactly. I th- I think it's a chemical term. I think it means like, you know, a a molecule which excites the Factory sense. Okay, yeah. So. I think it's just, it, it, but it's a it's a specific chemical produced by the yeast that kind of mimics the same um, smell compounds in like apples and pears and those kind of things. And so that you get those at higher temperatures. But when you get higher temperatures beyond there, you start getting higher. And I don't know anything about the chemistry of this at all, but it's like what they call fusel alcohols, higher level alcohols oh. that have more of a turpentine and more kind of aromas to them and more of these kind of solvent like aromas that you can get sometimes from these really hot fermentations. So it wasn't skunky, it wasn't anything like that. It was just it was unpleasant to drink because it was it was what I would term an out-of-control sort of fermentation.
0: Interesting. I I
2: didn't know about that. That sounds cool. That's why we have the glycol jackets. You know, when you walk into breweries, you see all the lines drop down going into them. Most of those are um, in the back, you know, the brewery somewhere you'll see this big, huge compressor. Uh, And that what those do is that uh, circulates 30-degree food-grade glycol through a loop, through all those tanks because, you know, fermentation is a very, uh, very exothermic. It creates a lot of heat as it does its job. And so if we didn't have those glycol jackets to keep the beer warm, um, you know, they, they'd, they'd climb up to high enough 80, 90 degree temperatures and kill the yeast. Oh, wow, and then throw off all those flavors. So yeah, we we have to like a pile
0: of dead grass exactly, it, like start steaming.
2: exactly. and even more, it's that it's that rather than the heat coming from the decomposition, it's heat coming from actual anaerobic activity, you know, taking in taking in these sugars, metabolizing them, and then spitting out carbon dioxide and, and fermentation and, alcohol and all this stuff. It's just yeah. it's a vigorous activity that creates heat as a byproduct. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah. Well, so it so those are part of the process then is these glycol coolers to kinda of run these things. And that was something that I just kind of picked up along the way.
0: Did you build those? Or did like do you have like pre uh, pre built systems or did you pretty much build your whole setup?
2: No, you know, originally, yeah. When we first opened way back when it was sort of a it was sort of a we call a Frankenbrew system, our glycol mm-hmm. chiller was like a a, a chest freezer with like a tub in it. But I now thought every- about building an ice bath like that. Oh yeah. Doing that same system. But yeah, no everything we have now is is uh it's all commercial manufactured equipment and specific. You kind of have to be there's just there's the the stuff's just design di- you know that's the biggest difference between home brewing and you know doing a doing a 10-gallon homebrew batch or I do do like 12 gallons on my my sis my all-grain system that I would made as a homebrewer. There's really objectively not much different between that and brewing at the that like North Jetty, it's the same amount of time. Um, it takes six hours roughly. It's just the the volumes of liquids are a lot bigger and the volumes of ingredients. And so most of the the, the brewing is just moving around those big chunks of ingredients and big volumes of liquid. That's mm-hmm. kind of like where the the tricks come in.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you know. I so know. it's just a bigger scale. Yeah, it's same a, process.
2: Yeah, bigger scale, same process. It's just you know those 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 volumes kind of require certain. You know, you gotta have pump. You can't just pick it up and move it. You got pumps. And all.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I know that game. Moving fluids, I yeah. do that with my job too. Moving chemicals. What do you do? I uh, I do the vegetation management. Vegetation management. Yeah, so I I'm actually it's it's a few jobs in one. Gotcha, I'm, gotcha. Noxious weeds yeah. like tansy and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, we have contracts with all kinds of different organizations and so, groups.
2: So like, what's your what's your current project? What are what are, what are you tackling at the moment? Uh,
0: the our main funded projects are Spartina. Still out in the bay. Still. Yeah. Because I
2: thought that that had been pretty well controlled.
0: It is. It is actually. Okay. It's just that it still hasn't met the official determination for eradication.
2: Gotcha. Well, my understanding was there's like one little spot of land that doesn't
0: want to have. I actually in. got that in 2019. Oh, you were able to get in there and spray? Hey, good for you. Thank you. So now
2: it's just whatever little voluntary things have popped up and haven't been spotted yet?
0: Yep. Everything's approved. No one's fighting us on it anymore. That's awesome. Yeah, that last landowner actually just died like two weeks ago. Uh, Yeah, rest in peace.
2: You know, I suppose people people do what they think is the right thing.
0: Exactly. I never hold it against anybody. People are real shitty to me sometimes. Sure. And I get it. I'm the government.
2: Government stooge. Yep. So that we're from the government. We're here to help you. <laughs> yep. Exactly.
0: <laughs> but I also am a citizen and I live in this community. So it's not practical or useful for me to act like a dickhead.
2: True story. You know, and that goes a long way. I, th- I think I think it goes a long way living in this area, you know, and saying I got roots in this area. I'm just not like, you know, especially, you know, saying that, you know, you're kind of... Um, uh, attached to commercial fishing on some level stuff like that it's not it's like i'm not just here to like shut down all your ecological stuff and say you can't do this yeah know? so it's
0: gotta oh, i'm, I'm deeply rooted here and i'm invested and in, are you from here yeah okay yeah. i grew up in ocean park gotcha and i went to waco high school and then i moved away and went to college i went to humboldt state for a year and then i transferred up to bellingham and went to western right. for uh for four years and got my psychology degree Came back here and I worked at the wildlife refuge, killing Spartina yeah. in between all those summers. So I, I've actually been in this job, not in the same position, but in killing Spartina and doing that, doing the whole thing since yeah. 20, uh, 2005. Do you use your psych degree? Every day. Yeah, I bet. Just to keep myself, you know, on the straight and narrow <laughs> <laughs> and just to figure out what's going on with the people around me.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine that'd be handy. For sure, I didn't take any psych in college. It was mostly well music, and then I transferred into accounting.
0: Oh yeah, so I want to hear about both of those things. Um, music and math have a lot in common. Music, I always think of music as like auditory math. I yeah. can see it when I'm listening to it, and yeah. it looks it looks like it fractions breaks up into into into, you know, divided divisible chunks. It's it's just very mathematical.
2: It is. It is. It's uh, and and what I like. A, what I like about music is, i can't remember who it was. It was—I think her name was Simone Day. She was this phlo- French philosopher, and I don't. She wasn't talking about music, but it was always something that, that rang with. I think she was talking about philosophy or something like that. Um, but her brother was one of these true mathematical geniuses, like you know, prodigy level. Goodwill Hunting—you can't talk. You know, you could talk to him, but you're not going to understand him. Kind of thing.
0: How you like them apples? Type yeah, yeah. And
2: and what she said was she was miserable. She was an existentialist, kind of. So she was miserable because she recognized that her brother had access to true knowledge that she was excluded from because it's reserved for people of genius, right? And, and that's true about high-level mathematics. They're kind of reserved for people of genius. You know, you, they can look at a, you know, they can look at a calculation, like an Oppenheimer can look at a calculation, look at the results of that, and say, okay, I'm the destroyer of worlds now without having to see the bomb.
0: Yeah, just but knows- they tortured people for
2: it too. Yeah, and so but anyway, but music I think also gives people who are not people of genius access to some of these truths of the universe. You feel it. You feel the harmonics. You feel the resonant the resonance. You feel, and it's because you know we're 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 beings of this universe of this planet. So we we kind of run in harmony with it, and I think we feel yeah. that at a deep level. And I think it is meaningful and moving that way.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, we're built out of it. Yeah, uh, we're uh, we are. Resonating beings. Everything we do is resonance. Ugh. Every bit of our body is part of a. We're all vibrating.
2: Yeah, that's the whole thing. It's like, are we matter moving around, or are we energy propagating through a field? And on some level, it's it's they probably six, one half dozen of the other. It's how you
0: decide to kind of phrase it. That's my favorite shit to talk about and yeah. think about. I love that stuff.
2: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was, I, and I can't remember who came up with the paradox that that Achilles and the Rabbit. You know where, where, you know Achilles and a rabbit are going to run a race, or Achilles and a tortoise, or something like that, and it's that whole idea of if the other, if the animal has a head start, no matter how fast Achilles goes, he'll never catch up with the rabbit because he has to get halfway there, and then he has to get halfway there, and then he has to get halfway there, and halfway there, and halfway there, and it kind of does this ad reducto kind of thing. And you end up saying, well, you can never get there because it's infinitely to this sort of half thing. But obviously he can He can overtake him. So it's his paradox is how that happens. And I went down this kind of rabbit hole on this um, um, great course thing about um, string theory and relativity and time and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and I always kind of wondered about that. And what they arrived at was there is a smallest scale that you can get to, this Planck scale, like 10 to the negative 32nd power and at that scale, it becomes more like a three-dimensional light bright, where you're not—it's not a continually—it's not just like a, a continually moving line segment, you know, moving through space. It's basically going blip, 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 and it's just spontaneously moving from spot to spot at this Planck level. So I thought it was very interesting to, to kind of think about it moving as more of this three-dimensional light bright kind of yeah. thing through this this you know this this kind of compacted energy
0: moving yeah. through it. So what is it that's that's the unifying force that lights up the light bright?
2: Lights up the oh, you know, I, it almost seems to be just sort of like a certain level of decay of the universe. It's Ooh. it's just the universe is cooled to a certain extent mm-hmm. that matter Slowed down can, enough. Yeah, mat, that that you know, because once it cools, you know, it, it seems that as energy cools down and slows down, and then it it, it spontaneously kind of pops up these quirks and these depending on what you believe, it somehow manifests these fundamental particles out of energy as they cool down and coagulate and clump. And then just based on the laws of the universe and physics, they kind of become
0: mm-hmm. matter. Yeah. And I mean, depending on what your own philosophy is, how you see existence, you right. can either just explain that by talking about how the geometry of the shapes of those molecules fit together to form the crystals that form the minerals that form all everything like you can do that and say like it's all math and it's all it's not randomness but it's uh it's just it's implicit geometry or you can make that all just woo woo god stuff and like you have a full spectrum in between to choose from
2: i uh you know it's really interesting that that's the this the you know, we we're talking about like you know the like quartz crystals as it grow. It's like you know, sort of replicating the the shape of that molecule. Uh, I was always interested in um, you know, like uh, like certain psychedelic drugs, like say like um, psilocybin mushrooms, is that they will kind of generate these sort of fractal patterns and these kind of these kind of patterns and stuff like that, like, and that that really look like. Um, Native American artwork that yeah. looks like, you know, um, these, these older ancient cultures that have used these drugs. And, a, and one of these things I was listening to said that those, those patterns match the structure of the visual cortex. Yeah. And so part of the thing That's is like is. somehow with the psilocybin, what you're doing is you're actually seeing some kind of bounce back reflection of the actual structure of the neurons of the visual cortex because they kind of make these patterns that sort of match like Native
0: American blankets well, you know what else matches those same patterns? Um, oh, I, I, what is it called? You, you might know, actually. Have you seen those videos where they take uh, and they put a membrane over a, a speaker, and then oh, they yeah, put yeah. either sand or some fluid on it, and then they Mandelas play or Ma- those- certain frequencies, and they do, they do create those shapes and those yeah. geometries, yeah. like the flower of life, yeah. um, and every time. And, and like, like you can actually use those frequencies to levitate matter. Like uh, it's crazy what they can do with frequency. Yeah, and like it, create a standing wave.
2: Right, it's right, and that's nuts. What, and, and I like where we've kind of, you know, I, I kind of like where it seems like some people are heading, where things are heading to this kind of fusion between what we can observe now in the natural world and how it relates to us. Because we've gotten, I like that we're moving away from where somehow the universe is special creature to no, we're, we're another manifestation of this world. We're another something that the universe has created along the way. Same as plants, same as dogs and all these kinds of stuff. We're something else. And, 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 and we've always, it seems like in our history, tried to separate ourselves out from the world and out from the universe. And I think we've done ourselves a disservice that way from not recognizing that, well, no, we are part of the world. We're part of the universe. Yeah. We're part of this collective that is this and uh and it just seems like when we can kind of live our lives within that sort of framework it just seems like
0: things get a lot easier do you think it's possible that we had to kind of go through that whole process so w- there was a time when our species could not argue with the fact that we are tied ty- we are part of nature we're in we're sure. in the shit sure you know and then we kind of had to not only learn how to come to terms with that but figure out how to you know, rise above it, move on to uh, a civilized society long enough to where we could forget about it and actually feel like we're somehow separate, right. only to just really have a lot of true power come right back when we learn again that we're not separate.
2: Yeah, we kind of, it seems like we've kind of gotten, or at least we're heading back to our roots. You know, although, I, I feel uh, like it too. Although now you're kind of getting this, Postmodernist rejection of authority, and unfortunately, they're lumping scientists in with that
0: too. Well, some scientists are real
2: pieces of shit. Yeah, yeah. They don't. They don't. Scientists don't often articulate their message well.
0: Yeah, especially the good ones. Um, A lot of crooks and hucksters are great speakers, absolutely, but they're actually shit scientists. Yeah, and those are the ones doing the real damage.
2: I always tell people, it's if you want to know if it's legitimate. Look at what they're doing and say, are they trying to prove something is true or are they trying to disprove that something is true? And if they're trying to disprove it, they're probably actually scientists because scientists, you know, the things that we say are the theories of something are just things that have stood up to every attempt to disprove them. Whereas the pseudosciences, they're just spending all their time and energy trying to prove them and trying to cut holes
0: in this. Pseudoscience is, is, is just something you can't disprove. But right it, right it might have it's evidence or it might not but it right. it just can't be disproven no there,
2: there there's no it's you can't argue it because there's no objective facts about it it's like it's like arguing over the fine points of religion it's yeah like, well, you're just talking uh, about belief systems
0: exactly know. there's a like the uh what's it i can't forget i'm forgetting the principle but um i'll use the movie mystery men to explain what i'm talking about remember kenan and kell okay. the Oh, yeah. We're both seeming like we're kind of mouth. I can hear it on here. Let's yeah, both get a beer. that'd be perfect. Um, uh, you want to grab them and um, where yeah. are they at? Yeah, I, I set them right down there. Yeah, if you want to just grab us a couple, that'd be great. Dude,
2: these are nice headphones.
0: Um, but what I was saying, um, the movie Mystery Men from a while back, Ben Stiller, um, the guy from Keenan and Kel, Kel, he had a power of invisibility, uh-huh. but it only worked when no one was watching. And as soon as people looked, he would turn visible again. <laughs> and uh it's like that's the funny joke is like, haha, obviously, it's fake, right? Bone shaker. Uh, sh- I'll, I'll have. Why don't you surprise me? I'll take whichever one. This is our new IPA we just came. All right, on. And we had, uh... That's a cool can. Thank you.
2: It's called Bun Shakers. It's, it's fun. we, we kind of. Yeah. Yeah, so Bone Shaker—it's uh, the new IPA that we have. We've had it for a while, but we're uh, putting it into cans now. And uh, I like this uh, this artwork because it's the pirate and all that kind of stuff, and throwing the dice. But it's also got the lighthouse and it's got the crabbing boat. And who drew the art? It's or... A guy named Kyle Schold. Is it uh,
0: drawn or painted or what kind of art is it? It's
2: it's uh, I believe it's computer aided drafting, probably with some AI. It's cool. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, he uh, used to be out of Ridgefield, Washington. I think he moved to uh, North Carolina, but this kind of work, it doesn't matter where they are. You know. Cheers. Cheers, buddy. This
0: is really good. Michelle said to say hi as well, so I want to pass that along. Hi, Michelle. Yeah, she was a great guest.
2: Good. Yeah, she's she's fun to talk to.
0: So I saw she got a, a new place, a new studio for her <laughs> yin or Yeah. What is it? Yin yoga? Yin yeah. yoga. You yeah. ever do that?
2: you a yin guy i haven't i haven't i am i will i will i just haven't i haven't gotten around to it yet i uh i'm very i try to be very supportive although i don't always participate uh yeah she's doing yin yoga and she's doing um uh she's doing breath work and she's also doing the one that i'm kind of looking forward to doing with my granddaughter she's doing mini and me Mm. where she's she's got um different kind of zones for parents or grandparents or caretakers and kids to come through and do some yoga stuff, do some playing with exercise balls, some gymnast stuff, just some, some movement, some activities and stuff like that. Cool. Yeah. It should be really fun. It should be really fun. It's at the Chautauqua. She's having a, uh, an open house on Easter out there, I think. Yeah, it should be really cool. I think it's, I think it's going to be neat out there. I've helped her. I, I haven't done a lot. I helped put the curtains up and I, uh, I, uh, for her studio warming, I bought her the same sound system that we have at the North Jetty, just because it sounds really good. Uh, and and that was my thing. She was talking about kind of doing a small speaker in the corner. It's like, well, you know, you're a sound guy, obviously. It's like you have to have sound kind of coming from all quadrants or else it's too loud somewhere, not loud enough, and you got to have enough bass support or it's tinny and you have to have it so loud that it
0: hurts your ears because there's no carrier
2: signal, you know, that kind of thing.
0: One of my biggest pet peeves is when people just play music from their cell phone, but they don't tune it. Like, they just either turn it all the way up to where everything's just maxed out and it sounds like shit, Mm -hmm. or or it's too quiet. I don't know. Those speakers on the iPhone especially are, are... really impressive for what they can do. Yeah, They're just not super loud. And if you try to play them loud, it's not a loud speaker. If you try to play it loud, they sound bad. But if you turn it just like mm, three quarters of the way up on most songs, they sound really clear and clean. I like them. But um, ah, I can't stand it when people don't pay close attention to that. That
2: kills me in the brewery, man. We'll be like out in in the tap room and I'll hear like people watching videos or they're doing like, you know, calls with somebody, you know, it's like, oh my God. Yeah. And and then I just, yeah, that's like, all right. It's grating. It, it is. It is. You know, but at the same time, it's like, you know, you don't want to yell at your customers. So yeah. You just kind of have to. I, if sometimes it gets out of control, I'll sort of like, uh, you know, do the eyebrows at the bartender, and you know, they'll they'll maybe kind of say, "Hey, can we keep it down a little bit." Yeah, like that. that's not a huge place. I'm. It's no carries. You know, and you're trying to curate an experience to a certain extent where people are going to have. Have fun and do their thing, but you want everybody to be able to have fun and do their thing. And so everybody's got to at least, on some level, kind of keep keep themselves within their bubble.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thing. Do you guys still do trivia or anything like that? Yeah.
2: Yeah, we do. We do uh, trivia twice a month. I think it's the second and fourth Thursday of every month with Brian. And I think we're kind of coming to the end here. I think we've got maybe three left because we don't do them during the summer. And then we do uh, Bingo the first Wednesday of the month cool yeah cool man that rain loud it is coming down it's uh it's it's been a nice couple days i mean yeah yesterday was gorgeous yeah it's been a while yeah we were sitting outside it was really nice
0: okay so you take these daily walks yeah i have a theory that a walk has some i mean it's not my theory it kind of is but i'm sure there's evidence i just haven't looked it up um but i think walking is has something to do with clear thoughts and good ideas and because of dopamine that you get from forward yeah. motion. Yeah. And uh, do you notice anything like a really big improvement in your mood or, uh, in your level of ideas when you're walking?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and it, no, it's not, uh, you know, uh, Nietzsche said the best thoughts come while walking. Uh, you look back at a philosopher's Immanuel Kant took two hour walks every day. I mean, you look back at these great, thinkers and, and everything like that you know einstein's they they took walks and they because or maybe nietzsche he, would, he didn't say walking he says you know thoreau said solitude is the key to great thinking those kind of things it, it's you need time to think you need time for solitude and the great thing about walking is that your body takes over it goes into these sort of repetitive patterns so you don't have to think about walking but it just takes enough to kind of dodge things here and there that it it occupies that restless part of your body. So it kind of sets that mind free because it's not worrying about, it's not worrying about the creature, you know, it can kind of go do its big the creature's busy. platonic kind of mind stuff, you yeah. know, and absolutely I think, and that's one of the things I like it other than, you know, the health benefits and that kind of thing is I just, I like getting out there and I like uh, seeing the vistas and, you know, the, the the air and it does really kind of set the, set the mind free.
0: What direction do you tend to look? Down, up, straight forward? Are you looking at mushrooms on the ground and salamanders? Are you looking at bald eagles attacking crows? What's your thing?
2: Yeah, I uh, I look at my natural inclination is probably to look down. It's probably kind of look in front of me and and watch the ground. I try to look up and
0: look around. Is you must if you're walking around the dunes, you must see those mushroom pickers out there. Ah.
2: Uh. Not
0: much, you know. I mean, they're in the they're, they're good at hiding.
2: They're in the trees. Yeah, well, and I'm not looking for them. I, you know, I, I'm. uh
0: They're not causing any trouble.
2: No, I, you know, and and that's, uh, uh, you know, that that's one of those things where it's like I I look at that as sort of this. I I get. I understand why it's a law. But at the same time, it's like, are they hurting anybody out there? I, I doubt it.
0: Yeah, could you explain it to me? I don't get it. I Well, I mean, I understand I, I understand why
2: people might say, well, we got to make it illegal because we want to protect dr- kids from drugs. And they have this sort of objectively black and white view of the world. So I can understand why certain people want it illegal. I don't think it should be illegal.
0: Yeah, but that generation... Was taught that specific information and that specific worldview by a very small group of people for a very specific reason, and oh, yeah. uh, we now know what that is. So the fact that they still cling on to that idea is is childish.
2: Well, it is. It is, and it's unfortunately some of these. And I like like people like Huberman are bring it back. Is that unfortunately marijuana and psilocybin and LSD and MDMA and legitimate psychotherapeutical drugs got lumped in with heroin and cocaine and opium and all these other drugs that are much less therapeutic. uh,
0: I think that they genuinely all could go in one big pile um, because you shouldn't be using any of them unless you know what they're used for. Like every one of those has their own list of specific purposes that they're used for. And we used to have people in society whose job it was to know what all those things were. They were called doctors. Yeah. And now the doctors seem like they just work for the pharmaceutical companies. So if it's not in that one single book, then it's not medicine. You know, yeah. all the consensus of, of the way medicine used to work is, is gone. I mean, I'm right. talking a long time ago. A right. lot more people died back then. Don't get me wrong. So sure. The medical so, so system that, is great. The
2: doctor on Little House on the Prairie, Doc Brown or whatever he was, that kind of thing. But yeah, no, I mean... I think that it's it, it's probably it starts. I mean, look, I was the I was the Nancy Reagan "just saying no" generation, you know, in the war on. I was drugs the tail end of it
0: too. Day. Yeah, and the dare generation.
2: Yeah, and you know that, and, and unfortunately, the way it becomes this this pharma, pharmaceutical conglomerate where you have you know so much money. It's just I don't know that healthcare and profit motive mix that well, and I never have, and I'm not like I'm a capitalist. I own a brewery. You know, I'm 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 down for making money in the private sector and I believe in it. But I, I think there are some things that when you attach a profit motive to, motive to them, um, start to not do the jobs that they probably should be doing within society.
0: Cuz the system works so well that it just condenses wealth upwards over and yeah. over again. I actually yeah. wrote a question about that just because I've I've been concerned yeah. looking at the economy and looking at just okay. So just in the last week, there's been a lot of money moving back into Bitcoin, and the economy sucks right now. I, I don't even know what the latest bad news is, but hasn't been any good for a while. And so I, I'm I'm nervous because I don't have a whole lot of money put away, but I want to know where to put it when it when I have the opportunity. Yeah. So it, it's 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 something I pay attention to, like what are the money markets are doing. And um, it, it looks like rich people are starting to get nervous. So, as a small business owner, yeah, are you concerned about the current state of our economy or the future of it? And what are your biggest worries? And then, what are your biggest things you're excited about looking forward? Um, even on yeah. any scale, small yeah, yeah. business, large scale, whatever you're most comfortable with.
2: You know, I I, I think the economy is uh. I think the economy is definitely it, it's it's in a tough time right now. And but now we are coming out of a very very bad historically bad winter, and you know those problems are are numerous. You had you had record inflation, you had super high gas prices. You know you got this war on. Um, you have the saber rattling with China and and Russia. You got an election coming out of an election year, so you have this general malaise. You know you have you know a former sitting presidents, you know, indicted. You have a lot of stuff going on that gets a lot of people in bad moods.
0: Okay, so really quickly, can we do a small tangent about the indictment?
2: I don't know anything about it other okay. than the
0: indictment. I, I I just saw that like or like an hour ago and yeah. I'm like, oh, I think
2: shit. it just happened today.
0: Okay. Yeah. 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 Trump is Trump has been indicted apparently.
2: Yeah, they're going I guess he's getting arraigned Thursday. Mm-hmm. I guess. I don't I don't know. Uh but um However, which direction that goes is, it, is it's, it makes everybody very cautious about the future and it makes everybody very wary. And when everybody's wary, everybody holds on to their money. And when people hold on to their money, the only nice thing about it is you might see a reduction in inflationary pressures, right? Um, but then the banks are going to get tired of paying out in high interest rates and you know that stuff will come down and people will start buying again. Um, no, no, do psych degrees come with economics classes?
0: No, actually, there was no that's a good question. (laughs) I, I, when I graduated, I was like, wait a minute, what's I thought econ was a thing I was eventually gonna, yeah, no, never did, gotcha. But, um, I, uh, my roommate Colton, who's actually his, he was a guest on the podcast a couple weeks ago, his episode comes out tomorrow, um, He was really into economics while he was my college roommate. Yeah. And he and he would read economics papers and we would talk about economics before either of us had any money. Sure. And since then I've gotten into crypto and investing a little bit and just tried to learn basically about money and what it is and how like how differently it's used between poor people and people with wealth, especially generational wealth. Yeah. Astounded me. When I found that out, it's a whole different world. Like it's crazy. They don't tell poor people any of that.
2: Well, I I think it's, you know, when you're when you're in a high income bracket, you you know, you have accountants and you have attorneys and you have financial advisors and you have these these this you have this uh array of advisors that you work with who are professionals who kind of tell you what to do and where to do it, that kind of thing. But you know, for the business wise, like most of my money's in in, you know, rapidly depreciating stainless steel. Um, I love stainless. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Um, you know, and so I don't, I try not to worry because I don't have much control over it. So what I try to do is I try to say, what's the best defensive position. That's a, really the
0: question I had
2: that I can put myself And And the best way I think that you can stay defense is, stay defensive is to, um, buy and hold. And everybody's, and, and keep buying, you know, and the, I have uh, one of my, one of my really good friends is a, uh, he's an investment advisor and he always says the market's not down, it's on sale because the market always goes back up unless, you know, in, unless all hell breaks loose and the markets explode and all the money, then, then at that point, you're not really worried about where your money's at. You know, you're, wor- you're worried about, you know, trying to like, you know, get clean water. Yeah, getting clean water and your
0: ammunition stores.
2: Yeah, all that stuff. You know, the sort of it's like a uh, yeah. Einstein said, I don't know what uh, Einstein said. I don't know with what weapons World War Three will be fought with, but World War Four will be fought with sticks and stones.
0: You're full of good quotes. I love <laughs> that one.
2: Yeah, and he's absolutely right. I mean, you know, you gotta you gotta say, and 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 the thing about it too is you have to have this little bit of mindset as a, as a small business and entrepreneur that. Even when all hell breaks loose, there's still money to be made.
0: Oh, there's a lot of money to be made. That's the best time. That's yeah. that's raw materials right there. Yeah.
2: And so the, all you can do, so for me is I always say, you know, try to have cash reserves, sit on cash, sit on And And, and I saw it a lot. Poor people spend, rich people invest. If you're going to spend your money, spend your money on something that is worthwhile Something that will bring money back to you, something that you can look at it and say, This was a good purchase. If you have a phone and your phone works just fine, you don't need a new phone, even though a new phone just came out. And that's this idea idea of hedonic adaption. You know, we're these unenlightened hedonists, or enlightened hedonists, I suppose, and we run through and we we're, we're, we're chasing pleasure. We're chasing the little dopamine release that you get from getting that new phone and I've been searching for it and now I have it and I don't want it anymore. Now I want the next crash. phone. And then that's that hedonic adaption. The things that you always wanted, once you get them, they don't matter as much to you anymore. And if you can kind of remind yourself of that, I think, and... Get really diligent again, that word about what you're spending your money on and just and and get get satisfaction from looking at your bank statement and saying, Hey, I got money sitting here, or saying, I got enough now. I can go buy that piece of property. Real estate, always good investment, especially out here because they're not making more of it. Yeah. Real estate is always a good investment. I agree. Always. It's just just going up. And you know, and typically I, you know, personally, I just, I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty boring that, like I said, I don't, I have really not, not much, you know, put away, I guess. But I, uh, you know, I, I, I just kind of put stuff in mutual funds yeah. when I can. Um, but, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, you try to try to buy buildings, you try to pay down debt, you know, cause interest rates are going to go up. So anybody like right now that have any kind of line of credit that have any kind of, um, bank cards that are tied to the prime rate, they're going to go up because interest rates keep going up. So anybody who's carrying revolving debt, um, get rid of that. And that's one of the biggest things I'll say. One of The biggest things I say, if you have credit card debt, if you have low quality debt, it's worthless, in my opinion, to be trying to save money.
0: Yeah, get rid of that. Got to
2: get paid down the debt
0: first. That's sucking interest. All right, I have yeah. a crazy scenario okay. that that I uh, would like to throw at you and see if you think there's any possibility that it could happen. Crazy. So, in my humble opinion, who I'm not an economist, I don't, you know, I just started learning about money a couple years ago. Barely have any of it. Um, it looks a lot like our current economic situation. Is based on bad economic policy on a federal level where, and it may be because they didn't have a choice that I don't know. I don't know enough about the system to really make that determination, but it seems like during the COVID scare, they had no other choice, but to just start pouring money into the system. And they had to do that. And it went to every single family that needed it and businesses and all that. Go ahead. Go ahead and interject if you need to. Mm -mm. Okay. Um, I remember thinking at that time, boy, this free money sure is sweet. Almost seems too good to be true. And uh, looking forward from there, I was like, it really seems like I can picture people running around with wheelbarrows full of frunks and, or, or people running around with armloads of tulips and not being able to sell them. Yeah. Like it, it, it just seems like the writing's on the wall that that's a bad fucking idea even though it was helpful and nice and I loved it. yeah, And I did benefit from it because I got those checks too. But lately we've had a few major crashes in our financial system. Yeah. Even though a couple of them were in the crypto section, all that crypto, a lot of it was bought with USD. So it was money that was lost. It was, it was money, yeah. it matters. Let's uh, say so we had like the FTX collapse. And then if you wind it back even further than that, I think last June, you had the collapse of Terra Luna
2: yeah, that Silicon Valley Bank collapsed last.
0: Boom, couple that's weeks ago. right where I was going. And yeah. so, it, there's been several. There was three at least. And then the government stepped in and and put a patch on that sure. leak on that band-aid. And they said, "We're going to make those investments whole. We're going to reimburse the depositors." And I'm pretty sure in 2008 they did not reimburse the depositors. They just Gave the money to the banks and expected them to handle it, and they just handed out bonuses. I'm not positive about that. Again, I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, but that's what I seem to remember. And this time, they're they made say the depositors that, Say that whole. again. In 2008, when yeah. this, when we had a major problem like similar oh, yeah, similar I to this, the bailouts uh, sure. when the banks were were too big just to fail. Too big to fail. Yeah, they gave the money to the banks. They did instead of to the depositors, and then the executives all bought yachts and the depositors went and fucked themselves, I guess.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, And you know, two th- yeah, that was.
0: But that's not what's happening now. Um, they're giving the, de- they're, they're reimbursing depositors even beyond the 200,000 or $250,000 cutoff for FDIC insurance. Sure, sure. And that's, that's really cool and everything. It feels very similar to that free money we were getting in COVID. Yeah. But my question is this, are they are they getting ready to just collapse the dollar so that we can? They have a reason to move us onto a USDC, like a, a, a central bank digital currency. Uh, uh yeah.
2: I don't think that, I don't know that the infrastructure exists for that. You know, I, I think for all the deference that people pay the United States government, that's why I never buy conspiracy theories because that I've worked with enough IRS agents to know that the government's not pulling the wool over anybody's eyes. I don't care what sector they're in. But that aside. I'll come back to that. I don't want to just dismiss it like that.
0: No. Okay. Well, but I do what want if it's to say unintentional. You know, yeah. But I do want to say that the um, what if they're building? I know they're building a, a central bank digital currency. Sure. But it could be in response to the fact that they're out of control with this money. Well, situation. the problem. What,
2: what the problem? What happened was is you had when all the governors, and I'm just shooting from the hip here. Me too. I, I don't. I'm just kind of trying to figure out. You know, like if I like look back at what happened and just kind of thinking about it. Is that all the governors? Closed everything. Right. And you had some governors that closed it quickly and you had some governors that closed it, you know, slowly. And it kind of depended on their political attachments and what they thought of the science and what they thought of their messaging to their constituents and all these things that go into politics. And so you had, you know, health decisions being made by politicians. But what happens is when the government, when, when the state government shut down, is state governments by law cannot run deficits like the federal government can. So the gover- the states can't just give out money. It has to come from the federal government because the states can't run deficits by law, constitutionally or something like that. But what happens is, and you hit the nail on the head we are talking about earlier, is when you pump money into an economic system, you get runaway inflation. You know, like you were talking about, the wheelbarrows full of money and all this kind of stuff to buy. You get runaway inflation and you get it skyrocketing. But I don't know, so much money is, I would say, just numbers moving between accounts already that i would say i mean it seems like we're most the way to digital currency now as it is i mean other than like mom and pop that they cash because the government doesn't want you using cash because they can't track it exactly you know and so like venmo and all this kind of stuff with these apps and stuff is they can't track it so yeah i would so coming back to that i don't think that maybe the infrastructure is in there now and i think they're going to get a lot of pushback from the states, especially if they try to do that, and you know, from from uh, certain, you know, kind of more conservative elements, I think are going to say, well, you know, it's just the government intruding, and they're trying to watch every single transaction that we're doing, and and just because you're not paranoid doesn't mean they're not watching you. Well,
0: there's you know? there's exactly that. <laughs> it's because that's they need the data to be able to use the technology. Right. That's that's the trade-off. It's not it's not inherently evil no it's uh, or even conspiratorial it's just the truth because the data is the the juice you Yeah, know? that's what they need it's to just be able to do the things
2: engineers my dad always had this point uh you ever met my dad bill oh. i don't know uh bill svensson they own the uh the performing arts center in long beach oh there they have concerts and stuff in cool
0: um the little so, place down towards a north end of town? Yeah, it's like a couple blocks past Chen's on the right there.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, he said that, uh, you know, engineers come up with ways to address problems that make sense to them. They don't necessarily think about the how it looks to a consumer concerned about privacy, you know. Concerned about is the government watching every move I make every dime? I the, the engineers are more concerned about let's find a real elegant solution to this problem. And like one of them is, you know, let, OK, well, it's if we want to know what what it is you, you want to buy at home, let's just have your smart speaker listen to you because then we'll know exactly what you want to buy. You it's know. common sense. It's common sense, you know. They don't think about this entire other, you know, the right to quiet enjoyment and peaceful existence and liberty and all these kind of things. Well,
0: that's not their job. Yeah.
2: No. no, their job is to figure out how to make sure that the, the currency rolls out well. So, to, sort of back to your point, I don't know that injecting money into the economy, whether you're injecting numbers into a bank account or sending out wads of cash, you're still putting inflationary pressures on the market, and that's why the Fed's raising interest rates because they're trying to put the they're trying to drive up. They drive up prices to put the brakes on inflation. They drive up borrowing because it starts at the top, you know, with all this,
0: this kind of thing. I want to go back for a second to uh, what you just said about we were talking about how it's not their job. Whose job is it? Because that's I think a a question I have about a certain artificial intelligence boom right now. That it's the same with these engineers. They're designing this product and they're just doing their job and it's exciting and fun and, and they're doing something that has so much potential for good that it's, yeah. it's obvious it's going to happen. It's, it's almost uh, inevitable at this point because there's so much momentum, but who is responsible for being, for being the one to put on the brakes on that kind of thing?
2: Yeah, you know, probably, you know, probably we are probably, you know, the, the society at large, you know, the people who elects, you know, the government by the people for the people of the people, all that, say, hey, look, you know, what's going on here is is spookier. Let's slow it down. Let's put the brakes on. Let's look at these research institutions. Because the other thing is, is that we also, I think, have to be careful that we don't take the plot of a science fiction movie and say that that's what's going to happen if AI suddenly becomes sentient and takes over the worldwide camera system and all these kind of things. I mean, I, I suppose it could. I mean, a lot of things could happen.
0: Oh yeah, we we'll, don't. Don't worry. We're gonna build it to make sure it's easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everything's become the, the Internet of Things. Everything's becoming more integrated. Yeah, it's gonna. But that's the thing is like, the technology really will get there, and people are gonna all accept that at some point. The technology will get there to where there will be a like all-knowing intelligent AI, unless I mean, unless there's some kind of a major catastrophe. Yeah, that, the technology will get there, but who designs it? Who maintains it, who runs it is is going to be what really matters. And so power is becoming more and more condensed with yeah. technology and with wealth and with everything. Yeah. Uh, and and information. I don't,
2: and I don't know how you, I, I don't know how you, excuse me, I don't know how you combat something like
0: that. As a I, single I, I person, really you know. fucking can't. No, no. Not I think, at all.
2: You know, and that's why I kind of go back to, you know, you can- you know, for, for me, I can try to make good beer and I can play with my grandkids and yeah. I can, you know, try to, you know, you try to pay attention and, and where you can, you try to make things better. But, you know, like people who are deciding, you know, are we going to move nuclear weapons to Belarus or, you know, is, is, is China going to side with, with Russia? You know, are we going to, are we going to go, you know, it, it. These giant geopolitical things, you just, I mean, at the end of the day, I guess all you have is hope that cool heads prevail and, you know, people, people, you know, we, we have someone like during the Cuban Missile Crisis who everybody can back down a little bit and,
0: but. Did you hear that we found out the CIA did do it? Did what? Kennedy? No. They did.
2: Where'd you hear that?
0: I read it in a document. In the document. Yeah. The war. Is it the Warren Commission? Warren Commission report? Uh, that I'm I'm a little bit intoxicated. I, it's hard for me to remember all the yeah. details. But yeah, there was uh, some declassified documents recently. And at the very least, it was members of the CIA employees and those who, you know, handled CIA operations. Uh, Maybe they were working on their own time. Who knows? Huh. But, um... Interesting. Yeah.
2: So you, so, you, so they're saying that Oswald was a patsy.
0: I don't know. I haven't actually... I didn't see anything about Oswald mentioned. Yeah. But it was just some dude who was a CIA agent who uh, it described procuring the weapons and...
2: Yeah, I, you know, that, that was one of those things that... Um yeah, who knows? I mean, it could, I mean, it's not. I I certainly not beyond the realm of. I, I haven't seen the documents. I mean, I'm yeah, sure it's not beyond the, the realm of of ideas, you
0: know, and all this kind of stuff. I mean, no, I wouldn't trust. I don't. I, I'm. I love conspiracy theories because I think that they're. It's like mental exercise. Sure. Because, I mean, reading scientific papers is great, but it takes so much time right. and it's so fucking boring. Right. And you have to really. It takes so much mental energy. I remember doing these things in college that we had called paper shreds where you have to take a peer-reviewed literature article and just go through it and circle all the things that are good, you know, cross out the things that are bad and, like, basically review the paper as if you're a peer. Sure. And as an undergrad, it was just so exhausting.
2: Yeah, I can imagine.
0: That's not what I'm doing when I'm looking at a conspiracy theory. Yeah. But to some extent, it's like a, a, a modified version of that that's for fun and hobbies. I'm going through it and looking at it with a critical eye, but also with an open mind at the same time. And it's fun. But you quickly see that what a conspiracy theory in a broad sense of the term is, is somebody has taken a few kernels of truth and real events and real people. And then most of the time it's been twisted and and had other bullshit built around it and used for, you know, certain agendas or whatever. It's they're they're abstract mental weapons to be wielded and they can be wielded for lots of different reasons and, and they sure. change and you know depending on culture and sort context. of modern
2: sophistry you know it's like using like you know rhetoric you know you can do all these appeals to emotion and these kind of things you know and yeah. and, and grab these and it's and always that thing i can't lord tennyson you know the lies with the kernel of truth the blackest of lies you know because they're hard to see and that's why i think they grab people's attention because they they are reasonable but they they can be reasonable, but they're also more sensational than than real life tends to be. Yes, you know, yes. and so the, the sensational stuff is that's gonna, why
0: they catch fire. Yeah, they're
2: gonna grab it, you know. They yeah. grab people and and well, oh, it's sensational. I'm gonna check that out, you know. And, and I think that even people, you know, like the the flat Earth thing. I, this is my opinion. I don't think anybody actually believes that. I think there's just people and like the bird drone things. I just think that there's people who like tweaking people.
0: Oh well, also I do. I know there are people that believe it because.
2: I the flat Earth or the drones,
0: all of it, all of it. The way psychology works, like if you're not directly confronted with the uh, counterexample or right. with the need to to have to lean onto the whatever your belief is, sure, like where it really matters, like let's say you believe you can fly, well, uh, the bottom thirty stories are on fire, so let's see you do it. Sure, sure, um, <laughs> it's.
2: Well, I imagine people can convince themselves of it. They can they say, can. "Well, I, I can convince myself of it. And I'm going to ignore all this data. You know, I, I, I'm going to ignore my own eyes when I walk out and look at the
0: sky." Well, because there's stuff in these things that are built in, baked in, sure. that that trick you, and 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 go around. Like uh, I hate to say it, but certain ideal, ideological philosophy, uh, any kind of group where they have dogmatic thinking. Sure. They use these tricks where they like for example, if you're in a religion, one of the things is usually like if you question it, you're going to hell. Yeah, and that's a fucking trick.
2: Yeah, absolutely. No, that's there's that,
0: lots of different kinds.
2: Yeah, that's uh, what is that the appeal to authority? I yeah. believe is what it is. And it's a fallacious argument. And, it, and it, fallacious arguments are always pe- made by people who have run out of facts, you mm-hmm. know, and run out of true true things to say
0: about their argument, or never had any to begin with, or never had
2: any to begin with. You know, it, it's always look at like what what is their motivation for doing it or what is their motivation for saying it? And, you know, like a flat earther, I can't think of any really solid motivation other than just tweaking around with
0: people. But Okay, I I can. I can tell you. All right. and, but uh, I, I will come back to it because I want to hear what you have to say, though. Uh,
2: but, but...
0: Uh, I lost my train. So I, Sorry, I, I didn't I, need to I, I, No, no,
2: I, loo- I, I lose the thread
0: often. I've put a lot of thought into this, though.
2: Yeah, no. So, go again, go again.
0: There, there was a long time where... I never even, no flat earth shit came up in my feed. I never saw any flat earth. I didn't believe that flat earthers even existed. Yeah. Because it's ludicrous. Sure. In my mind state at that time. Like I'm talking probably up until two years ago. Then uh, Eddie Bravo went on Joe Rogan. Uh-huh. I'm a Joe Rogan listener. Yeah. The my, algorithms- My
2: brewer and our, our brewers, Titus and Casey, they have Joe Rogan on all the
0: time. Okay. So you know who Eddie Bravo is?
2: I, I don't know Eddie Bravo.
0: Oh, he okay. His I wife. don't listen. I have my office and I have music Okay. Office. Well, he's the guy. He, he runs 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu and I think he's got, it's like a, a franchise. I don't know. Gotcha. He's a Jiu-Jitsu guy. So he's not a, I mean, he's not an astrologist or sure. astronomer or, sure. or whatever the one who's actually a scientist is. <laughs> and uh, he's a Jiu-Jitsu guy, but- He's a flat earther and he yeah. talks a lot about it passionately. Yeah. And uh, so th- suddenly the algorithm starts showing me flat earther videos. And yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I watch them and it, it, they fascinate me because I, like you said, I don't believe that people believe this. And then so the more, and then I started listening to a conspiracy podcasts. Yeah. Uh, one in particular, uh, Tinfoil Hat with Sam Tripoli. Shout out Sam Tripoli great podcast. It's, it's a whole different culture that exists. It's a subculture that exists that, uh, people like we all joke. I mean, we be in normal society, joke, joke about these people, but they're everywhere. They're everywhere among us.
2: Yeah. You know, I, I, I also say and I'm not saying that the two are, the two have anything to do with each other, but I also just found out that 20% of, uh, Adults in the United States are functionally illiterate.
0: Oh, 20%?
2: 20%?
0: That's all, That's all, huh?
2: I thought it was amazing. I I, I don't know anybody who can't read.
0: But you, I, you do. Yeah. That's like somebody in 1990 saying they don't know anybody who's gay. That's true. <laughs> so- like, the, Now that we know the statistics, the illiterates are yeah, going to come out of the woodwork. Gotcha.
2: So So- that's so why i understand what you're saying about that they are out there it's just that i i haven't noticed it, i was shocked by the how high that number was
0: that is yeah it's concerning um is that in america america yeah, yeah. yeah and
2: i don't know how that compares to the rest of the world but um the the, the problem and, and i got you know joe rogan's an entertainer yeah right joe rogan's an in and and one of the things i like about joe rogan is from what i've heard is he's He's one of these guys that doesn't like candy coat opinions. He just kind of says, this is my opinion and this is this person's opinion, all that kind of stuff. The only the only fault that I find with that presentation is that it puts all opinions on the same footing. It's like it's almost like your opinion as this guy who owns Jiu-Jitsu Studio is the same as this nuclear physicist who's
0: worked at NASA and spent his whole life dealing with space and
2: somehow their
0: opinions- It shouldn't be though. And
2: somehow their opinions are on the same level.
0: That, that is exactly one of those psychological tricks that I was talking about. Yeah. Because we know, m- most people know on a, on a rational level that that is not the case. Right. And that p- opinions are not weighed equally. But when you look at the psychological studies, what really happens is that people trust charisma Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. People trust yeah. charisma way more right. than they trust expertise.
2: And that's that postmodernism. That, that's that's kind of, that's just, an, it's just like the Renaissance. It's just like romanticism taken over from the Enlightenment. I think it's just, it's another phase of human understanding and development is now we've reached, now we've reached this sort of rebellious kind of, stage where, like, we know enough and we have enough access to information that we don't need any more damn authorities telling us what to believe and when to believe it. We can do this research ourselves and look at it and form our own opinions, and we've got this sort of petulant 13-year-old attitude. It's new. It is new.
0: Yeah. It is new. We've never had the luxury before. No.
2: No, when I was a kid, you know, I don't know how old you are, but- I'm 34. 34, so you're 14 years younger than me. But I- and I probably you too. I had to go to the
0: library if you didn't know something. I still know my library card number.
2: Yeah. I mean, you had to go to the library and check out an encyclopedia and look it up or maybe you had like, you know, at least some kind of little set at home you could look it up with or go to the school library.
0: Or, Did so, you have a good set at home? <coughs> you get the Britannica? Pretty good.
2: pretty good. We had yeah, we had the 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 full, It wasn't it wasn't brand new by any means, but it was close enough, you know.
0: My dad Put away and like actually paid off a, a set of fucking awesome encyclopedias. Yeah. uh It I it must have taken a long time. They were really nice, and we were poor. Nice, and we actually had two good sets of because they care about education. Yeah,
2: making an investment that had uh, a feature. huge
0: impact. Thank you, Dad. Thank yeah. you.
2: Yeah, I mean that's great. That's great to, to have a family that cares that way about education. Um, you know, and and now I you know when I, I when I sub like into schools, you know, I I look at what these kids are looking at, and it's all stupid. And 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 I want to tell them it's like you you guys are holding in your hand at your fingertips the entire sum knowledge of the human species. You can look up anything you want, and you're putting cat ears on yourself.
0: Well, that's because you're watching. They can't look up boobs. Yeah, yeah.
2: They don't care. They'll look at anything, <laughs> as far as I can tell.
0: It's open season. But you're right, though. It, there there's so much there, but it's it's almost like. Um, what did they call that, choice paralysis? Or? Yeah,
2: it's too much. It's too much. Yeah, it's too much. You know, our, our ability to communicate and our ability to look at stuff has kind of outstripped our evolved ability to do it well. You think we'll adapt? Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, humans are, you know, the human species, I mean, that's what characterizes us, is how adaptable we are. I mean, you look at, there's no other species that is spread to every single environment that you can live in. And So, I mean, like you know, you look at us as just a very, because it's what we are. Is we're just a, a, a you know, fairly sophisticated primate you know we're a very sophisticated primate and we have this this ability to think abstractly this consciousness that allows us to like identify second level desires and act on them or don't act on them and and then i was you know and then we kind of say well why am i here and that causes lots of problems but i mean as an animal we're super adaptable and i think even if you get i mean you never everybody's like we're going to destroy ourselves i mean probably not we're too adaptable for that i mean I'm not saying that we're not going to get our hair must. You know, I'm not saying that yeah, you and I may not make it. But I mean, certainly the species will.
0: I I think for now, I I think that the fact that we exist at all, any of us, is it's so it's such a small chance that we were going to ever exist. Yeah. That, like existence, matter, material existence, existing at all. It's such a small chance that it could end at any moment, and we would it'd still be amazing. Absolutely. So like, we're just fucking lucky.
2: Yeah, you know, and that and that's the, and that's the thing I think is it's just you have to you know you have to realize that
0: you, you everybody
2: j- just to be in a position. To, I mean, look at a you know look at a, a you know a cow, right? A cow's a living thing. A cow is an organism that delicious, was, you know, delicious living thing. But they they live roughly the same kind of life that we do they're born in this world they try to eat they try to reproduce and pass along their genes and then they die i mean that's that's what we do and what we do as animals it's just that we've been sort of burned with this capacity to realize that we're that we exist and once we realize that we exist then we have a lot of questions you know
0: and when we realize like (laughs) oh shit we can change this environment that we're in and we can make it do stuff yeah and that that but now we're realizing
2: there's side effects yeah. lots of them and that's and that's part of that that's part of that um that growth process and then you know you get drag kicking and screaming into well if if you want to keep living this lifestyle we're going to have to make this change and this change and people don't want to do it and it's change and it's hard and the yeah. beat goes on
0: change yeah i I used to think that it was annoying when people resisted change and um you know as a, i would say like as a teenager not really thinking about how I I'm not very good at change at all, uh, and yeah. except in short bursts, like I almost have to like charge myself up for change, like think about it for a couple of years, and then I can do a big change. <laughs> but you want to tell us about that a little bit? You're deciding to switch from a, being a CPA to oh, yeah. uh, a brewer.
2: Yeah, yeah, that was. Uh, it's actually a longer conversation, but it's fine. We'll, we'll we'll embark on it here. So, I came out of school in uh, 1998. Uh, with a, a degree in accounting, and I worked in public accounting uh, at various firms until 2007, All right? So nine years uh, I graduated. I worked in public accounting. And in 2007, my first wife was killed in a car accident. Oh, man. And when you're an accountant, especially a young accountant, I was 32, when you're a young accountant, you work a lot of hours. I worked 60, 70 hours a week. It was you're trying to make partners. this, borderline. I mean, they... And you got to remember, this is also, you know, 20 you know, twenty years ago, 25 years ago, there was lip service given to l- work-life balance, but they didn't really mean it. You know, oh, yeah, we want to make sure you take your vacation, but seriously, don't take your fucking vacation. You and know,
0: that, really, the, your value comes from working hard and not really giving a fuck about your health. Oh, yeah. No, no. Or you're, your relationship. Your value is based
2: on how many hours you bill. Yeah. Right? How many hours you bill. And as a staff, you're expected to bill, I think, 2,400 uh, hours. Uh, a year right so 2400 hours a year you do the math 2080 hours in a standard 40 day work 40 hour mm-hmm. work week with two weeks vacation you're working a lot of overtime you just you got to go to the bathroom you know and so uh and when she died I, I I sort of uh I decided you know after doing some soul searching that that working you know working to live or living just to work and you know this keeping up with the Joneses and you know, the, the you gotta be at the bigger house and the faster, you know, all the, all this, all the trappings, I guess that you have to get. Um, I didn't quite reject it all certainly, but I, I kind of said, well, I don't want to work that hard anymore. And, and we had, we had some, um, you know, we, we had insurance set up and we had some other, other things with the accident that I guess gave me the ability to, to take a step back from that a little bit. Um, and so around that time I met Michelle, and we uh, uh, we and we bought a uh, or after that, and then uh, we've ended up buying the beach house here in 2007, which was right. We bought it for 199,000 in Seaview in 2007, and uh, in 2008, a year later, it was worth 110. So that's that 2008. Oh, the crash! The crash. Right? Yep.
0: Yep. The one we were just talking yeah. about.
2: Yeah. Our our John. Gen- our generations got well and truly screwed by that. Uh, set us back 10. Set us back a decade on wealth uh, and the repercussions are going to go on.
0: Yeah. Um, The boomers are still getting richer and the Gen (laughs) Xers and millennials are getting poorer. Yeah. I've always been glad as
2: a Gen X I get lumped in with the millennials because the boomers catch a lot of shit. (laughs) My folks catch a lot of (laughs) crap. Not just combined naturally. (laughs) There's some some good stuff.
0: They they did a lot of great stuff too. And everybody just gets the generation that they get. Sure. They don't have a choice. Sure. But yeah, they do get, they get roasted a lot.
2: So we bought the house and I, I worked as a CFO, uh, financial officer at a trucking company in Vancouver for a couple years, a uh, few years. And then in 2010, we moved out here full time. And uh, I worked at an accounting firm in Astoria. And Michelle opened a cleaning company here on the beach and uh, in Long Beach. And uh, I don't remember if you remember when, when the last roof first opened, it was Mark and Helen. That, that built it and owned
0: it I do remember
2: yeah and uh they mark had this dream to always have his own beer on tap and so in 2012 he bought some brewing equipment and um, because I was a home brewer, I, you know we got to know him it's a small town you know we'd go in last year all the time and watch football because we didn't have cable we were just visiting you know that kind of thing
0: well year did the rue open uh it must have been like two
2: 2009 2010 okay something like that because we opened because we yeah because we started we started brewing beer for the rue in 2012 and i think they'd been open a couple of years so it must have been 2010 okay yeah and um so anyway i we started making beer in the the building where now it used to be called the dairy air building oh i remember the dairy yeah. air yeah, so we were up front there. Oh, by the way, I'm going to put a shout out to Chico's. We had lunch there today. I love seeing
0: that place open again. Chico's is back. And they did
2: such a good job.
0: Awesome. It that is makes so, me so it happy. It's
2: so nice inside.
0: That place is such an institution. It's a it's yeah. a part of me. Yeah, I, I love Chico's Pizza. I,
2: I walked in there and like even only you know having, I've been coming here for you know, 15, 16 years now. And I, I walked in and like, oh, it's back. It's Does it back. have games and stuff? Yeah, they got the uh, games. Right they, I mean, they, it, it, they did it. Candy crane?
0: That I don't know. I I have to check on that. I didn't look. We'll have to check on that.
2: Um, So anyway, so we we moved here, and so in 2012 we started making beer, and I was still working as a uh, as an accountant. I was still doing that, and I was considering buying in with that firm, but I didn't really want to go back into public accounting. But it's it's I was always fairly good at it.
0: It's just a huge workload. Is that the problem? Uh,
2: It's not a real exciting job. I mean, I'm I'm not saying it's not a good job, but doing other people's taxes.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So you're where you do taxes. So so it's it like a heavy busy season and then a little yeah. lighter the rest of the year. Yeah. Okay. Yeah,
2: especially, you know, the, the firm I was that's very good firm. They still still do our work. It's WWC Business Solutions. But it Sounds good. Yeah, it is. It's, but it's a, you know, I was coming out of a um I was coming out of a firm called Moss Adams, which was a very very large Seventeen office, you know, working on really, really big, real complex clients and kind of going back to small ten forties and small business returns, it wasn't professionally super satisfying.
0: Okay. I, I would say it was You weren't getting any kind of a fix.
2: No, and I, and I was having to drive across the bridge and they were working on both sides of it. And then I remember we had that culvert in Chinook for a year or whatever oh, yeah. it was, you know, by the bridge there, you know. Yeah. And so that was a drag and I never liked the commute. I used to go to Vancouver to Portland and it just wore me out. And, and so, uh, they asked me to get involved and I ended up getting involved brewing the beer. And then I kind of, in 2013, I basically quit being an accountant and I was working full time for the Johnsons running the brewery and we were going to open another brew pub and it ended up, uh, they, you know, they didn't want to cannibalize the brew, and they felt like they kind of had their hands full with that. So. Uh, Michelle and I bought them out of the LLC and rented the rest of the building and opened up the tap room in 2014 and kind of went from there. So I, I tell anybody, I absolutely stumbled into it. And I, you know, I, I talked to Mark and Mark's like, hey, you know, I'm either going to, we're going to keep, I don't want to keep doing the brewery. I, you know, it's just, it wasn't working for, them they weren't digging it. They were losing money, all this kind of stuff But I saw that like, you know, there wasn't something like that. And I, you know, there wasn't something like that here.
0: Yeah. And there is right across the river at that yeah. time.
2: Yeah, you know, and it's and it's, you know, you remember I mean the there there was, you know, nine years ago, ten years ago, you know, when we're talking about this, it was, you know, it drifts drifts perking up, you know, pickle fish is getting good. You know, other things are opening and they're starting to get this sort of groundswell of, you know, kind of becoming this a bit more upscale, you know, some facelifting and that
0: kind of thing. Did you come here as a teenager or as a kid or like never. When was the first time you started getting to know the community in the, the area? Two thousand seven. Okay, so, oh man, before Adrift and before these businesses, there was Nothing. there was like this vibe that everybody just understood you couldn't do a business here. Yeah. It'll die no matter yeah. what. And they were the first ones to change that. So you actually did something fairly risky. You might not have even fully understood.
2: Yeah, maybe. I mean, we had only lived here full time for a couple of years, but Michelle oh. had really done well with her job. And you you know,
0: guys kind of started a boom for the community. Like oh, those you. that group, I, I really think that cluster of businesses... Um, in there's like a period of like seven or eight years where we had yeah. just like a bunch of killer businesses open you guys, um, a the, even I, the world mark, even though they're big corporate business, yeah. they were great yeah. for the community. Well,
2: the world mark, you know, the Rue, um, you know, the, I, I look at those, I look at then a drift distillers opened up, you know, faceless of the shell mm-hmm. um, I think that there's just and you look at it, down in Owako, the Salt Pub went in, you know, at the helm. Yeah, and yeah the, Salt's
0: great. There's just been,
2: the there's been not not just some businesses that are needed going in, but some really well done and cool businesses.
0: Businesses that a community can be proud of.
2: Yeah, and no, we I grew up going to Cannon Beach because my dad was a Portland kid from way back. You know, his mm-hmm. his dad's from Portland, and all that. So you know, we we always went to Cannon Beach, and I loved it. I, I couldn't afford Cannon Beach when it came time that I wanted to buy a beach house, but I could afford Long Beach. And I can't. I, I,
0: we were always like Seaside Cannon die. Beach's little cousin. Yeah. Um, the the scuzzier version of, of I always the said, beach.
2: People would say, like, what's Long Beach like, you know? And, and I would be like, well, it's kind of oh. like I picture Seaside in the 60s, maybe.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's kind
2: of, you know, it's a little shabby. It's a here and there. It's got, like, it's little arcade, you know, and that's kind of a little- The
0: shabby. other day, me and my daughter were watching The Simpsons, and um, Matt Groening from Portland, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, like, absolutely. Uh, in this episode- Flanders
2: and Lovejoy and they all named after exactly. the streets.
0: In this episode, they, the family actually goes back to Portland, and it shows this, all the streets and stuff. It's funny. But- um, in the episode, they, they like make a trip out to the coast, and I there's like a some fun rides and a merry go round, and it like shows a bunch of beachy stuff, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's it's Long Beach, and uh, as I'm watching, I'm like, no, it's, it's Cannon. definitely Cannon Beach or, or Seaside. Like, yeah, I why got- would they? <laughs> why if he's in Portland, he's going out to the coast, and right. he's going to Seaside. Why would he make the trip to 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 Long Beach unless to get away from that stuff? But um. Yeah,
2: they're so all great a, little so towns. So anyway, I, mean. I but mean, we. So yeah, I. You guys
0: definitely perked us up a little bit. Thank you.
2: Thank you. You know, and I, and, and and it's funny you say that because I never. You know, I I I'm in the bubble. I I go to work and I go home. You know, and that kind. of, and and this town's been amazing. The way they've supported us, the way they've embraced us, and you know, uh, everybody carries our beer. And I give huge props to to Fort George. They're our partners. They're our friends. Um they they do such good work for us. Uh and they they really have good beer too. They have great beer and they and they set a standard on the coast. Um and I remember when we were out when we brought, drove out here to look at houses. So the reason we came out here is I had a before I met Michelle I'd already booked this trip to um to London and France. And so uh we'd been dating for a while and I went off to London and so Michelle brought her daughters out here just on a day trip and she was like, "Oh, you'd love this place. You got to check it out." And um, I was like, "Well, I, we wanted to buy a beach house. If you like it, let's go. Let's go check out some houses." Must know? have been
0: summertime, right?
2: Yeah, oh, it wasn't. What? It was uh, well. Yeah, she went like in August. No, oh, no, best, no, no, no. It's like October. Best time. Yeah, maybe it was a little bit later.
0: Really, I mean, this place is gorgeous from yeah. July to. November. It was late.
2: It was like October, but even October's
0: pretty nice, beautiful nowadays. Yeah. When I was a kid, it seems like it wasn't, but yeah. it is now.
2: And uh, we, we just fell in love with it, you know, and, and, and bought the house. So we used to come every weekend and um, just, you know, just loved it. And, and I appreciate that. You know, It's it's been fun as we've gotten, as we've been here for a while now. We have, you know, kids that have been coming in since they were 14, 15 saying, I want to have my first beer here, you know, and that kind of thing. So it's fun to become
0: not just part of the community, but part of people's vacation stories. Speaking of that, I remember thinking when you guys opened that, I had never seen a business that was specifically like yours. So how did that come about? You don't serve, you don't cook food there, which is at first it sounds crazy. Then you think, yeah. well, then you, that means you don't have to have an oven or refrigerators or a bunch yeah. of a bunch of giant stuff. Or
2: so it was. It was really, it was really that it was taking what was going on in Portland and Vancouver because no one was really. I, I'm trying to think. It, no, no one was really doing what we did out here. You had no. You had, you know, uh, Fort George. You had Wet Dog, who were restaurants. You had Bill Taverns. They were restaurants. Um, you had the Great Parrot had tried. Uh, Failed. I, I had never been to the Great Parrot. They had closed, like, the year before we started coming here.
0: Uh, I only heard two people ever talk about it, and they're not cool people.
2: Yeah, I, I, I haven't heard much
0: good, unfortunately. But, you know, I mean— I heard it, their beer was, was good, though, from yeah. those two people.
2: And so in Vancouver and Portland, then, what you had is you had these tap rooms. You had—, you had Breweries that, because of the license, well, not Portland. So let's just talk Vancouver because it's Washington uh, Liquor Control, uh, liquor and cannabis now, uh,
0: which is strange. Why
2: well, it was great? Wait, because it was Washington State Liquor Control Board. and Now it's Washington State Liquor and Cannabis Board. So I didn't have to change their acronym. I thought it was brilliant. Wait, what? So they went from Washington State Liquor Control Board to Washington State Liquor and Cannabis Board. Okay. So it's still WSLCB. Okay. Brilliant. For government. Yeah. I thought it
0: was pretty clever. Yeah, they're they're brilliant, those governments. Uh, so anyway, the uh,
2: but in Vancouver where you have this population density and those kind of things, you had a lot of these places open it up where they did a tap room. And I had some friends that were doing it, a tap room. So you had a brewery that produces X amount of beer and then you sell in the tap room. I'm like, look, and I and I did the numbers. You know, that's and one of the things that when I when you look at brewers and you look at small business, it's people who go into business to do what they did, right? For me, it was like, I looked at the numbers and I looked at what we were selling at Johnson's place, you know, through the Rue. And I was telling Michelle, I was like, look, from what I'm kind of putting together here, this is how much beer we need to sell to basically kind of make up for. And we had a, we had a house, we had a rental house and put, this was a second career for me. So it's not like, I I don't want the best way to say it. I wasn't 25 and I was, you know, I wasn't that I was, uh, you know, I was 39 so it's not like i was ready to retire you know i needed to work but it's like i think that we can especially in this area where nothing else like this exists mm-hmm. i think we can get it and i had everybody come, oh, you know eight taps and no food and i was like well, i'm gonna give away peanuts like yeah that won't do it and yeah exactly but i remember that's why i love chico's coming back so many pizzas oh yeah that's chico's. gonna be great and then the kids can go over there
0: chico's has sucked for a, a good it's been a while while yeah it's it's, it's this well, is gonna you know, be such a cool after kevin thing got sick you know he just sort of checked out It was long before that when yeah, they stopped letting you have free water uh yeah the new place they they have water again i i, I don't know oh uh, come on they better I know. I know they do they do i
2: did they, see get, the water they do get yeah. water because well that's because you know uh glenn yeah the shit his whole thing was he wanted it to be like it was like it was after you know the the high the kids and the games and you know he wants to big ba- bring back this sense of community this sense Chicos
0: of, was the fucking spot yeah yeah forever. and I and
2: I can imagine because it's huge
0: yeah everybody would go there after every high school varsity game yeah the the whole cool crowd would pile in their cars and go to Chicos and then it'd just be like I was everybody cool. there well you already didn't go to school here
2: no it's that I will say the difference here in Mike my, my School everybody here seems pretty cool with each other.
0: Well, I don't know about that,
2: but... They seem nice. I mean, they, they, they seem like they support... They don't bully each other. I mean, but there's been a big anti-bullying campaign, but it seems to have worked. They all seem pretty cool with each other now. The
0: kids seem like they're different than when I was young. A lot nicer. Like, a lot we bullied kinder. We bullied a bit, oh, but yeah. we right. tried not to, but uh, I don't know. I don't think we... Nobody
2: tried not bullying in my high school. Yeah.
0: yeah I, well, I, bullying was pretty cool back then.
2: <laughs> I ended up in a hick school in Hazeldale, Washington. Early. Oh,
0: that sounds hickish. Damn. Yeah. But I graduated there. with 350. That's pretty big so it's a big school for
2: you know for the for, for a the, hick school yeah for a hick school you know but it was uh I mean there's bigger but no no I mean they' there's you know, a my lot class was fifty one. now, there's a lot bigger yeah I went to I went to college with a guy graduated 18 yeah can you imagine but you know so it was uh uh yeah I remember we got off on that but anyway I, I've been. I have loved being in uh, this town. There's parts of it that are different. I grew up in Portland, and I lived in Vancouver. And so, moving to a very small town, there was definitely some stuff to get used to. Can't get sandwiches in the middle of the night. That that it was. It was more of. Um, I tend to keep my. You know, I I I'm not a super outgoing you know i i say hi to people you know I'm, I'm kind of a glad hander you know hey how's it going thanks for coming in those kind of things but you're saying it's not sandwich related it it's not sandwich related. it's more like you know I'll, yeah i would get texts it's like hey i saw your car at the auto shop what's up uh-huh.
0: just getting an oil change <laughs> nothing's up like, what, what's up you meeting for a drug deal yeah i
2: was like it's like everybody could see everything that you're doing and where you're at and all
0: this kind of stuff and it was like that kind of thing shapes you as a person oh uh,
2: I can imagine it's got to make. I mean, I, yeah, it's either going to make you real private or super open.
0: Yeah, you, that, <laughs> that's so funny that you say that. I feel like that is the choice that we all have. Yeah, you can either you can either be a complete hermit and just reject all of the stuff that can track you. Don't use the smartphone. Nothing with yeah. chips, because. Or you can you know embrace it all and take full advantage of it because otherwise anywhere in between those two things even though we just started this podcast by saying that nothing's black and white yeah that kind of you have to pick one or the other because anywhere in between you lose benefits of both
2: right right yeah no it's really true yeah and that's what I realized in this small town is it is it you have to just be okay with you
0: know people knowing
2: what you're doing
0: or get a vehicle that uh, a lot of people have. Yeah, don't get any vanity plates, tint the windows, and then live your life and try to pretend people aren't watching you. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, exactly. But they are. But you know, it, it's interesting. You know, it's interesting. I appreciate you saying it. You know, the, the nice things you said about what we, you know our business in this town. Because could... you guys sponsor my race team. But when you're here, you know, when you're just kind of living your life and doing your thing, you know, and going to work and going home and all that, I mean, you know that you exist and you know that people sell your beer and they come and they have fun, but you have no, at least I ne- I don't have any concept of, mm-hmm. of you know, worth or value to the community or anything like oh, that. Oh,
0: well, it's it's noticeable. Well, good. Speaking good. of which, actually, how'd you get involved with the, the um, North Jetty Brew Crew? Uh, that's our hood to coast team yeah it
2: was uh
0: sarah taylor or it was, i think oh. it was sarah taylor
2: it was either sarah or uh sutherland tom 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 i think i but i but i think it i think it was sarah or what's her sister that moved away heidi heidi one of the two of them or, or maybe maybe even chris miller back in the day Used to come in. I don't know if he was ever on the run crew, but he was- sort
0: of Was that Heidi's boyfriend? Boyfriend, yeah.
2: But anyway, one of them did, and they just said, no, uh, uh, no, no. It was Dustin Mead."
0: Oh, Dustin. It yes. was Dustin. Dustin's still on the team. Yeah, it was Dustin like because Dustin
2: he was our original banker at the Bank of Pacific. He's a founder,
0: and yeah. That man is impressive. He doesn't, He's a great guy. He doesn't look at first glance like he'd be some kind of a supreme athlete, but- he just get out and just run like a motherfucker. Isn't that crazy, yeah. So
2: yeah, he said we. Ha- I, I think it was him. And he said we have this uh, running crew. Would you be interested? And, and he said, well, basically, he said we're gonna. We all got shirts, and we want to. We got a thing for. It. So it was like they'd already done it. Do you want to sponsor? I was like, oh yeah, sure. Can I like you know, buy your gas or something. Or yeah. so I'd, I'd like to. I'd like to be more involved if we can. I mean, I'd like to truly sponsor it. Oh, um, you're just
0: we're just repping.
2: Yeah. Cool, but I mean, if we can help out some way, I mean, if we can cover gas or we can do something for food, or I mean, just to just to yeah. even kind of make it a little more fun
0: for you guys, kind of thing. I think it it seems like it could be spread around a little bit better. I th- yeah. We all throw in a couple bucks for whoever the person is who plans the whole thing, but I think. It ends up being expensive, probably for them. We wanted to get into financials and everything. But sure, sure. I'm always sending a chunk of money to somebody, but it's never big.
2: Well, if you ever, like I said, we we I think it's fun that you guys do it. So if there's ever any way that we can help Sarah, you out,
0: Sarah Taylor and and Sarah Taylor, yeah, cool. Uh, I think Sarah does everything for nothing in return. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll let, we'll, just let we'll let her know and we'll. Sarah's awesome. I'd like to do something
2: more for it.
1: She but no, it's, cool it's, shit.
2: it's been a lot of fun being part of that. It's been fun seeing the, the, the videos and all that. I, I do think that we bought, we've bought you guys sweatshirts. I think we did do that. I think what we said, just go down to blue I've crab the and pick shirts. out what you want.
0: Yeah. I get a shirt every year. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, definitely.
0: It's pretty nice. Very cool. Pretty nice. It's a, that's a fun event, Hood to Coast.
2: I've, I, uh, the first, uh, accounting firm I worked at back in 98, we had a Hood
0: to Coast team
2: and, uh. I tried to run and I am I'm not a runner.
0: Oh, you could probably jump on this team. I'm not a We'll get you a spot. I'm not an As athlete. As a sponsor, you can get in there. I'm not an athlete. And it's none like, of us are it, it, on I, that team. Uh, no, actually that's what that's where I'm wrong. We mostly are just like yeah. old people who are still trying to run, but um we go and get a few really fast young people sure. and bring them in ringers.
2: Yeah, I, I uh Yeah, you need to get the soccer star out there. Soccer star. Yeah, the fly fishing shop in Owaco, Josh. Oh, is he a runner? know. Uh, he was a professional soccer player. What? So I'm guessing he can run. I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, you know, right there. You know uh, where uh, Jenna used to be, right there, uh, where the dentist was, same parking lot as Karnowski.
0: you talking about the guy with the with the fantastic mustache? Yeah. The
2: the the uh, the fly fishing place. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He played for the Timbers.
2: What? Yeah. He Josh. never
0: mentioned that. Yeah, he doesn't. Seemed like the type that would. I <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, maybe he'd run. <laughs> I like him. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: nice guy. Could, they came in quite a bit. Yeah, nice yeah. people. But anyway, um no, I, I uh, so what I did is I tried to run and I ended up getting a stress fracture in my ankle because again, I'm not a runner. But I I ended up driving the
0: van. No, no, no. Runners get stress fractures. Yeah. That's that means you are a runner. So you... I wasn't going to run through the
2: stress fractures. Oh, okay, you quit. I quit.
0: Oh so gotcha. I drove the van. Okay. I, I
2: did I, I made a strategic retreat. Yeah, charge to the rear.
0: <laughs> I probably should have done that this year. Actually, yeah, I, I had an injury halfway through the second leg, and I I, I just couldn't. Did you keep going? I kept going. The, I, I hurt myself worse a little bit.
2: Yeah, I can imagine.
0: But I couldn't. I couldn't stop. Well, because yeah, that's I, good. I have a. This is how I run, and it's it made it to where I I end up hurting myself worse most of the time. But I'm. I have a thing. I say. I'm just like. I can do one more step. What am I? What am I? I'm kind of a bitch. I can't do one more step. (laughs) I can do one more step. And then if I just keep doing that, anytime I do that, I can really just take one more step. I can run for fucking miles. I ran a twenty-six. I I ran a marathon off the couch doing that. Wow. And it destroyed my body. But I
2: mean, that's that's solid willpower. Yes, that's solid uh, pushing yourself. You know the. uh, Yeah, that's I, I I saw a show called The Patriot. And he talked about- That's
0: a Mel Gibson movie, and it's a fantastic one. It
2: is a Mel Gibson movie, but it's also a series about this deep cover uh, operative. Uh, and his whole thing was, if I can get halfway, then it's less to go forward than to go back.
0: Oh, yeah. I feel that one to my bones. Yeah. That I used that one to get myself through an entire rowing career. Because it's 2,000 uh, meters, so that's easy to break up in fractions. Sure. I really like fractions in math. Yeah, the that I, I remember talking about the music now I'm realizing I said this twice but it's about a different thing but um, I would break it up into exertion chunks and you know, I could think about them as units like I can get through uh, if the race takes about 6 minutes half of it is 3 minutes and it's a 2,000 meter race half of it is 1,000 meters 3 minutes for 1,000 meters that's not that hard if I break that into another half you know Minute and a half. What's well, yeah. a minute and a half? Right. I would just try to conceptualize it like that so you can just get through it. And uh by the time I get to the third one, I'm like, there's less looking forward than looking back and it would like the momentum of that felt like a weight pushing me through the finish line. Yeah. I loved thinking like that.
2: Yeah, no, I I think that's always true. You know, if you can uh, you know, break uh break something up into smaller manageable pieces like that it makes it makes it quite a bit easier
0: another philosophy that you can apply to life yeah
2: pretty much anywhere pretty you know when we we're doing remodels for the brewery and getting michelle's stuff going it's always like all right i just got to get this much done and then i'm
0: going to be done and i'm going to be yeah. done for
2: today and it's like you can't look at the whole project yeah i'll be done for today
0: <laughs> i think the plague of the person like uh myself with i, I have adhd and what happens with me is that if I set it down, if I set the project down mentally, it just sometimes just disappears. Yes. Yeah. Unless it's like, unless I'm getting paid for it. If I get paid for it, I've always got that dopamine right there. Sure. I can just, you know, perform. But if it's something that it's just for me, like I, I, want it, I want to do it, man, it's hard. Like it will just, I will go to sleep having just worked 12 hours straight on something that I'm deeply passionate about. And then I'll wake up in the morning and go on with my life and never think about it again
2: is there an upside to adhd in your mind
0: hell yeah oh yeah. lots of them just tons of energy yeah it's a different type of personality absolutely like, and, i mean not just like it's one personality type but it's 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 just uh it's a whole aspect of who i am yeah and it it's... makes me understand the world through a certain lens
2: it's different, you know, different people. It's it's almost like, you know, there's this podcast I was listening to, and it's like, you know, if you play the Vikings, you get plus four ferocity. And if you play the Arabs, you get plus four math, you know, and if you play Germany, you get plus four, you know, industry and that kind of thing and i think that every personality type and every kind of where people have bents and people have you know different inclinations and those kind of things i think if you choose to use them that way they can all you know they can be like your your force multiplier yeah exactly you just have to you know it's that always recognizing the downsides and and being able to sort of backfill and being able to kind of uh you know sort of um you know hedge against
0: those exactly and being able to have the foresight to know what it is and like know how to fire your energy through something positive yeah oh it's that's what it feels like it's it's not i think adhd is a lot more about not knowing when your energy is just gonna drop out from under you and or switch randomly yeah so you have to try to uh, plan for unpredictability which is kind of an oxymoron yeah it's the it's the truth, and then that makes you really resilient to dealing with disappointment. So it, you start to be able to apply that skill to other areas of your life, and real, and then you realize the very important lesson that failure is is not the end. It's part of an iterative process that's leading you to success.
2: Yeah, failure. You yeah, know, that's Winston Churchill. Failure is not final. You know, success isn't last forever. You know, it's the courage to go on, you know, and it's to keep fighting. And that's one of the things I think you touched on. Another fantastic quote. It's that idea that people, I think, are, and whether it's evolution, whether it's just sort of the way we are, people do best when they have a struggle. When people have a purpose and a meaning and a struggle, this idea of. Something that drives you forward. I mean, that's where people seem to be at their best—the
0: perfect amount of struggle. Yeah, yeah. Where enough to drive you. Your your aptitude and your abilities with the struggle. That's not enough to shut you down. So you keep right. on believing, but you but you yeah. you're not like you're still getting stronger.
2: Yeah, and 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 people and people thrive on that, and and it's why that that kind of when people say it, it's like, well, I wish I just had nothing but free time. It's utopia. It's like you go crazy. You go crazy. People, people don't aren't designed to do downtime. Yeah, it's this, 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 this striving and this trying to do the next thing. It's what drives us. But it's a.
0: That's why it's important to strive for something that you care about, because when you're striving for something that you don't give a fuck about, you just carry that vision of like, oh, someday when I don't have to do this, I'm gonna be happy, and that's not the case.
2: Well, and you're doing it, and you're doing often, you know just in the name of money but that's what happens sometimes is me is money becomes this sort of well i'm trying to make money and money becomes an end but money is never an end money is only a means yeah happiness is the end and so it's like it's always keeping in mind it's like balance yeah, is the yeah, end ba- absolutely
0: you I, have think, to have I think i think that makes you feel it really i think what a lot of people actually want when they say happiness is peace
1: yeah. they want
0: to feel like everything is good and Content- that's a feeling of peace contentment Contentment, exactly. Yeah. And people use contentment and happiness as synonyms, but I think balanced and ha- and contentment is, is yeah. more, you, you want like that spiritual, perfect equilibrium it's feeling. It's also,
2: it's a, you know, the, the Greeks called it eudaimonic happiness. It's a flourishing life. And it's also an understanding is that happiness doesn't always mean that you're in a good mood. Yes, exactly. It doesn't imply that. Because there's happiness, hedonic happiness that comes from joy and pleasure and eating a you know, beating a big steak and having sex and these kind of things. But it's,
0: it's an awfully rich taste. Rich,
2: hedonic. It's 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 pleasurable. It's joyful. But there's also you. Demonic happiness was meaning and purpose and striving and fulfilling Earnestness. what it is. Yeah, it's uh, the, the Greeks called it that that you know that acon. I think they call it the uh, uh, um, you know arete. It's fulfilling your fate with this sense of excellence. It's this doing your share of the cosmic necessity to the best of your ability and that i think and that's what i think the greeks really hit on was this idea of this striving it's the the greek hero versus what was whatever. their word for it you demonic you uh and it was basically it's translated as happiness but it's not quite right it's more of a flourishing
0: life a, a feeling of being connected within the greater web probably absolutely
2: it, it's it's all those things it's it's holistic it's it's the things that you do in your life that make life worth living and 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 propel that and and it's true and i think the older you get the more you realize is that it's not necessarily the hedonic part and the thrill seeking part and the joyful pleasure part it's also the meaning and the purpose and it's the icky guy the witch the iki guy Iggy guy iki guy it's a
0: Japanese term
2: I don't know that one
0: It's. uh, It means the reason you get out of bed in the morning. Yeah. Like what drives you? What are you excited about in life? What is your reason for living? Absolutely. I think Iki is. uh, I don't remember, but the last guest told me because he's Japanese. He speaks Japanese. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it's I've I've just known it by the Japanese word, not by the English translation. But it I just know it to mean the the reason for getting out of bed in the morning. And we
2: talk about kernels of truth. That's a kernel of truth because it runs through Taoism. It runs through Hinduism. It runs through Buddhism. It runs through Western philosophy. It runs through Native American philosophy. It runs through any time you talk to a human being, this idea of meaning and purpose and striving for excellence is an ingrained part of the human condition.
0: Yeah, the Zen and the art of archery. Mm -hmm. like uh the 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 act of just like going through the process and doing the shit yeah is is like the the journey is the destination
2: and it's very interesting it's very that that archery one is very similar to stoicism where all your thought and all your effort has to go into the release because once you release it it's gone now you have no control over it all you can control everything up to the release but once you release it it's gone and that's that's the hard part I think that most people have is that they want to keep messing with the arrow after they release it. I think
0: I mess with the arrow. <laughs> I think I messed it a lot. <laughs> oh man. that is where that is where I struggle for sure. But I worry that if you I, is that an arbitrary line that you're drawing between you and the world, you and everything else? Maybe um, you can affect the arrow.
2: Well, I, I think it I think it depends on your life philosophy. You know, for me, I um
0: I at least try to fuck with the earth. Yeah, I
2: I you know, I think if your philosophy is more is more inward looking, like more like I'm gonna deal with my my you know, my inclinations and my desires and I wanna be, you know, the the curate all you know, the the virtue kind of ethics thing. You know, they're they're good, but they're very inward looking where and that's always been the knock against it's virtue true. It's true. Is that they they don't concern themselves really with making the wider world a better place. Yeah. Right. And that's always been the knock against them. Um, so it depends it's all on, talk. yeah, it kind of depends on what your, what your goal is. If your goal is tranquility, then they're, they're great, mm-hmm. you know, but if your goal is saving the world, then they're not so, then they're not. So it's just, it's, it's being able to try and save, you know, try and do what you can to affect the world without driving yourself crazy
0: yes yes, because once you're crazy you're no good to anybody well and
2: it's that it's that whole coming to grips with that controls an illusion mm-hmm. and illusion and these kind of
0: things well yeah coming to terms with those is tough but it's definitely necessary for people who go go down those roads in the first place not yeah. everyone does and uh but but yeah I don't think you even have to but I definitely walk down on myself and and when I come to terms with that kind of stuff it feels Good enough.
2: Well, and I and I think that there's the people that walk down the roads. They see the things that are down those roads that people who don't don't. And and those are always, like Anichi says, an authentic human experience.
0: You know what's really annoying is when the people who don't go down the roads want to tell you why there's nothing down there. Sure, absolutely all the time.
2: Yeah, and and that's a and that's one thing I, I will say that and that. When we open the brewery, you hear a lot of that. You know what you should do is this, and what you <laughs> yeah. ought to do is this, and what you should do is this. Yeah, I'm sure you hear it about your podcast. Well, this is the direction you ought to take it in, and this is what you
0: need to. You do know, You know, it's ought to I, don't do this. A, I don't hear I don't hear peep. No, no. Well, not maybe from you're doing anybody. It great then. Well, that uh, that's a great <laughs> assumption to make, but I just assume nobody's listening.
2: <laughs> I listened. I, I, I've listened to a, a, a few of them now.
0: No, I know people are listening. Well, I can yeah. see. I can see they are on the internet, but. Um, you know, I don't, I don't talk to podcasters. I don't yeah. I I just assume. And also, I stopped doing social media gotcha. just like a month or two ago. Just one day I was just like, I'm mm, 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 not doing it today. Our
2: brewer doesn't do social media. Co- I don't, COVID I don't blame washed them. him out.
0: Yeah. It's 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 soul-sucking.
2: I, I you know, I look at it because otherwise I don't know Chico's open. And so that's mostly why I, I go on and I look I look for pictures of my grandkids and I
0: I still go on and yeah. look at well, I look at TikTok and Instagram occasionally, but I don't post anymore. Yeah. Like just recently, just recently. But it's, I need a break. Every once in a while, I just go through a time yeah. when I don't want to post and then I'll go back into it where it's fun again.
2: Well, you know, it's that whole idea. It's that the one thing that I've really tried to remove from myself is that, that FOMO, that fear of missing out. So now I really try to cultivate this, not caring about what
0: I miss out on. Man, that's just like, I think about that so much. The witch? Of the missing period, out on things or not? Yeah. People talk about that like, oh, I am going to i can't go to the party and I'm going to miss out. I don't give a fuck about your party. Yeah, same. I have it on an existential quantum level. Yeah. Like I know how finite my material existence is. That's good. And I am like semi-bummed that I only get one that yeah. I know of for sure. sure. I know for sure I have this one. Absolutely. I could have infinite number of them. They could all be different. I could have this one a bunch of times. Who knows? I could have just one and then it'd be done. Yeah, do you you have a favorite theory? Believe it or not, Eric and I talked for three and a half hours on this one. So if you'd like to hear the exciting conclusion of this interview, come on back next week and the second half of the interview will be on that episode. Thank you so much for tuning into this. Happy Earth Day and I'll talk to you next week. Don't forget to like and subscribe on social media, blah blah blah, all that good stuff. Ramblebytheriver.com. I love you guys. Talk to you next time. Bye.
1: Say now, say it now.